this is Maddie. And this is Cass. And welcome back to the Mage Monomyth podcast. The continued adventures of Nymira Zlikstrin. Mm -hmm. Session three. Uh, or recap of session two. Uh, Nymira uh, visited some of her classes, mm -hmm. interacted with her student group, uh, had the opportunity to uh, start some of her training uh, and some of her academic pursuits, uh, and interacted with uh, your professors, your student group. You met a rival student group, mm -hmm. quote unquote, air quotes, rival, uh, who you uh, befriended. <clears throat> You connected with uh, Chiwi a little bit mm -hmm. and Sid a little bit, mm -hmm. which is very sweet. And oh, and the, the Manny Petty montage at the end. Yes. the We ended with the Manny Petties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very cute. But we pick up with session three. Uh, at the start of session three, we open with... You, Nymira, uh, observing, uh, secretly observing, the Magic and Society class. Mm. Uh, one of the, the classes that you are not officially taking, according to the conservatory. But uh, the professor, Sheila Bradley, wants you to take, so long as you don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, and has given you a, a special place uh, in her office to observe the class while she's teaching. Uh, so, Am I like looking through the eyes of a painting portrait? Of, like am I the moving eye gallery <clears throat> picture? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yes, 100%. Do with that as you will. Okay. <laughs> uh, but th the class itself is... Uh, at least for the first uh, couple of weeks of the class, the class is very, uh, stru it's structured in a sort of lecture way, right? So it's a lot of lecturing uh, that Professor Sheila does to the group uh, about magic and society, specifically uh, focusing on like cultural perspective. So the part of the world that you are in, the part of the, the world of Din that mm -hmm. you are in, uh, is uh, the largest, sorry, the second to largest continent of all. And it's the one of the major continents where the Council of Mages is active. Mm -hmm. And so the culture is all very similar in terms of how mages view magic. Um, we talked a little bit about it. Is that like the structure of magic? Oh, we were talking about how... Um... Like, it's a vessel for them as opposed to, like, a tool that they use. Right. So mages in this, say, in this, mages in society here, in Aval, they use magic as if it is a tool to be mm -hmm. used to gain mm -hmm. versus some of the other cultures across the world of Din that revere magic that almost worship magic, and they allow their bodies to be a conduit, to be a vessel, so that magic can work through them 
rather than them manipulating magic. They serve magic rather than magic serves them. Correct. Is that also Mm -hmm. a druidic uh, way of magic? The druids have their have a completely different uh, perspective of magic. Okay. Um, I'm not sure that Nymira would know much okay, about that. Okay, that's fine. I'm, that was more of a Maddie question. Ah. So. Um, it, the way that the druids are structured is similar to the Council of Mages. So in this world, there's the Council of Mages, which are the 25 archmages from all different regions of the world mm-hmm. that come together as the Mighty Council. And then the guild exists under them. Mm-hmm. They've created the guild as a sort of like, this is the, these are the people that will do the things. Like they make the laws, the guild enforces them basically. Mm-hmm. The druids have something very similar where they have what's known as the Synodus Druidica, which is a council of 25 archdruids. Mm-hmm. And from all over the, the different wilds of the world. And then under them is the Senatus Druidica, which is effectively the equivalent of the Mage Guild. Yeah. And though that Senate uh, is, they enforce the laws that the Synod uh, put into place. Are we um, covering this in class or is this just stuff I know? Yeah, you would, this is like, this is stuff that you would know, no, sorry, this is stuff you would cover in class. Okay. Uh, that you would read in the book as you're observing. So, uh, she wouldn't go into too much detail about the druids, because obviously you're not there to learn anything about druidic magic, but... Because fuck them, you're saying. <laughs> I do have a disdain for druids. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, fuck them. Uh, she would cover it, though, so that you are a well-equipped mage if you were to have to interact with a member of the druidic senate right. or synod. Um, in a respectful way, because the druids are very uh, reclusive. Um, they don't interact with society. Can I ask a question? Yeah, absolutely. Did Elden Magnus um, have a parent who was also on the council? Was that uh, a detail? <clears throat> he does not have somebody, a... Somebody, it was just like someone powerful? Yeah, he does not have a parent on the council. Uh-huh. Um, he the Magnus name is a well known and respected name in the in the magic community. Yeah. So the uh, Zlikstrin name mm-hmm. uh, descended from the Zendel Vexel Braxton name mm-hmm. um, is a very widely known and respected name and connected to like Mage Inks. Yeah. The Magni name Mag the the Magnuses the Magni um, uh, are a parchment so like that's right right okay okay so your your house slickstrin <laughs> does magical inks across the world they're like the magical ink yes uh, merchant family and then the magni are parchment got it um the touching on that really quickly the council nobody that's on the council uh when you join the, the Mages Council, I don't know if this is super relevant, but when you join the Mages Council, you forego your given name and your family name. Uh-huh. So you forego all ties, and even though you might still be blood-related, you are no longer part of that bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you become a mage, you are not allowed on the council. You're not allowed to sire children. Um, there's a whole... 
there's a whole bunch of lore on that end. Um, so even if there is a, a member on the council that is of the Magni family, he is mm-hmm. he or she is not of. They are not of the Magni family. Right. Anyway, druids uh, have structured themselves similar to the mages because the two organizations are seen as being... Uh, Diametrically opposed? Yes. <laughs> they're, they butt heads yeah. a lot. Um, the druids have no real concern about what happens within a city's limits. Um, druids only consider what matters in terms of the natural order of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some contention about how the druids structure their organizations and how they do or do not help the people of uh, the land mm-hmm. in whatever area they're in. Um, <clears throat> and they sort of see magic as a... As a a being. Yeah. Right? Druids see magic as a being that is not a tool. It's not even a, a thing that druids need to allow themselves to become a vessel of. Magic itself is a living being, and there's a sort of symbiotic relationship between this being that is pure energy, pure magic, and the druids. Right. Uh, all covered in the course Magic mm-hmm. Society. Um, How are my friends taking it? Is anyone dozing off? Is anyone super into it? it? It does seem like generally everyone in your friend group has very little interest except for Aerith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Aerith seems to be like sitting upright, like quill in hand, or ink pen in hand, like ready, mm-hmm. listening, eager, taking notes, like very attentive. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can see that Lena is like back in her chair, like head back, like... Uh, and uh, everyone else is sort of they are they look as though they are paying attention but really you can kind of see them like passing notes and goofing off Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and it almost because they're the only ones in the room that are being lectured to it almost seems like Professor Bradley doesn't she sort of has an air of like Look, they're either going to listen or they're not. Like, I'm, she's not bothering to be like, yeah, you know, pay attention, you know. Um, un, unlike my Professor Bradley, who this character is based on in the real world, who, if she caught you with your head on your desk, would take a hammer and come and smack uh, the hammer. See, I had Mr. Wall who would um, take a big dictionary and slam it on your, your desk. Or get out the um, Incredible Hulk fists. To, to punch you with. Mm, that was the other mm-hmm. one. Yeah. yeah. The trick was, whenever Bradley hit your desk with a hammer, if your head was down and she hit your desk with a hammer, you had to pop up really quick and go, Amen! Is <laughs> <clears throat> that Catholic school? Uh, no, this, it's so funny, that's actually, that was not a Catholic school. That was <laughs> at, not a Catholic school. <laughs> uh, so, the, 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 So she doesn't, she can't be bothered to like gain attentiveness. It's more like I'm doing. I'm doing this. I mean, it. it I'm she, teaching the class. Exactly. You. You. You probably get a pretty good sense that. I mean, you're either gonna pass your first year or you're not, right? Mm-hmm. How attentive you are and how much you put into it and how much you care is really going to determine whether you succeed or not. Mm-hmm. The professors are not compelled to compel you to pay attention, right? 
if you fail the first year, you're out. Yeah. So she's presenting the material and, you know. Got it. Are all classes pass-fail? Yes. Yeah, all, all classes have... PE for some reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so uh, with the Magic and Society class specifically, you get this overarching view of... Um, overarching? Overarching? Is arching or arcing? <laughs> overarching. Yeah. You get this overview <laughs> of, of how magic is seen by the various... Types of wizards. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the types of wizards that I think we touched on before was there is a there are types of wizards that are known as the priests of Rathma. We did talk about that. Right. So they're they're one of the ones that view magic as what view themselves as a vessel for the magic. Yeah. Um, but they have a very interesting relationship with magic because they're priests and right. mages. Right. It's more divine. Based. Yeah, but they do have the ability to manipulate both types of magic. Uh -huh. So they are considered mages, and their school uh, and all the training is, and things go through the guild, mm -hmm. and they are officially considered guild mages, but they also have this connection to the divine. They're kind of like mystic theurges in terms of being able to manipulate both. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Uh, to use some D&D &D 5e terms, like a divine soul sorcerer or, uh -huh. you know, so, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, but you get that overview, you get, you see different types of wizards. Another thing that's, can, that's covered in this course over the many months that you are studying throughout the first school year, uh, are, uh, the different schools of magic yeah. and, and how they're viewed by mages. Mm -hmm. Uh, you get this obviously in, in, when you're in public, People will look at a the, the common folk will look at a necromancer and mm -hmm. be like, "Ugh, necromancer, right?" But really, what is necromancy, right? It's the manipulation of life energy, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, late game healing, you know, in a way. Yeah. Uh, I imagine. Um, I, I was just thinking, like, how do I cover for the fact that um in this class, but not, because it's a secret to them even, too, right? My Currently it is, because you haven't told my them. My other students, yeah. yeah. Um, so I picture, like, me being in the room, being like, all right, guys, we'll see you later, as they all go off to class, and then, like, <laughs> hopping my way to the <laughs> office to join in without being seen. Do a little step stool up at the painting, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I imagine that... Um, it becomes so, like, uh, in my nature to just, like, be here watching the lecture this way that I would start bringing, like, I would hit the commissary and get a couple of snacks that I'm quietly crunching on as we do the thing. And then I run back to the dorm room be like, hey, hey guys, how is... <laughs> <laughs> Hand on the wall, just like, yeah. ah, ah, hey, hey guys. <laughs> I like to exercise while you guys are... Doing the class. Was it good? <laughs> some, some tactical application extra credit. <laughs> um, does Maddie, I guess technically either Nymira or Maddie, do either of you, have questions about magic and society that you would like to ask me? That 
represented by Nymira, like flipping through the chapters yeah. of the book that are shifting, yeah. pages shifting. Um, anything that Nymira might want to. Can I ask for? a different question first? Yeah, sure. Um, what's this teacher's name? Professor Bradley? Sheila Bradley. Yeah. Sheila Bradley. Um, does Professor Bradley assign homework? Reading out of the book. Oh, yeah. okay. Homework. The homework for class, a class like this is read chapters one through five and be ready and able to give a summary to the class kind of thing, to the rest of the, to the other students. I'm going to be a little bit of a teacher's pet, I guess, and um, write thorough notes during the lecture that I like turn in for proof that I was there and attentive because she can't see me in the mm -hmm. class. Um, so I'm going to go a little extra mile to, um, prove that I was attentive and letting me sneak was a, a good decision on her part because I'm paying attention, basically. Cool. Um, in terms of questions, um, I remember Nim was kind of wondering about, uh, like, the... The relationship between like magic and uh, fiends and stuff was kind of intriguing her um, before. Um, you were talking about the different types of magic. Is like what the sources of magic are for different people. So mm -hmm. like patrons and um, beyond just schools of magic. Is that covered in class or is it readable or askable? Uh, both. You would be able to read, you'd be able to flip through the book and find topics that cover uh, types of magic and broken down in like a bullet point style where every bullet point has like sub bullet points. Um, and so there's the breakdown of like the difference between, uh, uh, between the difference between divine magic and arcane magic, first mm -hmm. breakdown. <clears throat> and then, of course, divine magic then, including the different planes that are considered divine um, in terms of, like, celestial magic and where the celestial magic comes from. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, the positive energy plane and things like that. Then arcane magic breakdown, specifically, like, the realm of Hellas, which in my world is the abyss and hell, the nine hells, are is basically one plane, and it's sort of like a stretch, it's elongated. And in the center of the, like between the abyss and the nine hells is limbo. Uh -huh. And it's all one large negative energy plane. And then on the outskirts of Hellas is the shadow plane, yeah. which... Uh, is very is basically the shadow fell. That's sort of the outskirts of the negative energy plane, but it's all one large plane, um, and so it breaks down there. Then you have like specifically fiendish magic, yeah. demonic magic, stuff like that, um, and then the schools of magic. In terms of, because this is magic and society mm -hmm. class, in terms of like relation to society, um, does it touch on if there's like the idea of Good magics and bad magics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there. 
what the course covers and what she talks about in class is the perception that the common folk have of magic mm -hmm. versus the perception that a studied mage uh -huh. would have of magic. Uh, using a previous example, the idea that a commoner, uh, uh, common, the common folk, would see necromancy as evil mm -hmm. or bad, or, you know, very negative. Um, but to someone who is a mage who studies necromancy, right, necromancy doesn't just cover raising evil zombies, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, in fact, there, there's this idea in another part of the realm that undead make a good labor force because they don't need to sleep or eat. They, they, there's no real days, mindless undead, right? This is the idea that like zombies can sure. pick up and move things. Sure. You don't need to worry about feeding them. You don't need to worry about... Or paying them a livable wage. <laughs> Well, uh, gee, if you want to go there, <laughs> but no, but in in this like fantasy setting, the idea that like this, uh, it, it, you don't have to it, labor people. It's like you... automated labor. It's yeah. like having robotic labor, yeah. but with undead mm -hmm. zombies specifically. And so there's that idea. Of, of course, I'm sure that there's like splinter groups that are like PETA, but for zombies. Oh yeah, for right? sure. Who yeah. are like. Protect the undead. Yeah. You know, undead workers' rights. I mean, you know, it's, it's bound to happen. Uh, but, but. I'm going to start the first labor union for. For zombies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the, it covers the, the stigma of certain types of magics. Ne Necromancy is probably the biggest one. But another one that is, I wouldn't say widely accepted, but not a lot of people think about is enchantment magic. Yeah. Which like charming. really exists to remove someone's free will, right? I mean, that's that's inherently what what good can you do with that, you know? So there, it talks about how it's funny that people think necromancy is the worst, but really it's not. It's you know, it's neutral. All the magic is really neutral. It's really what the mage chooses to do with it. Right. That's really what the class covers. Right. Did you have any specific questions about any yes. of that? Yeah. Um. For, like, fiendish specific stuff. Uh, why don't you roll an arcana check for me? Okie dokie. First roll of the day. Yup. Eleven total. Uh, I mean, just in terms of what little you have picked up before you are here mm -hmm. studying, um, fiendish magic is... Not particularly widely accepted, uh -huh. but your family has made sure that you understand that magic is a tool, mm -hmm. as the course covers as well, but that the tool, the use of the tool by the person using it, mm -hmm. uh, by the person implementing it, um, is what really matters. So you can summon the fiendish magic, your firebolt cantrip for example probably has it doesn't look like normal fire mm -hmm. it probably has a, a sort of like a instead of being like the reddish yellowish orangish normal fire it probably has like a deeper crimson with like a blackish sort of tinge to it yeah. um just naturally because it's hellfire and mm -hmm. not not 
normal fire. Um, and so the summoning of stuff like that is not inherently bad, mm-hmm. right? So the implementation of fiendish magic is can be used for good. Okay. And uh, that's, that's definitely covered in the, in the okay. class, for sure. Um, I mean, ba- you know, a, a, you have a very basic understanding with an 11 on your Arcana check. But as you come to know, as you come to read more in the book and start to understand that fiendish magic has its, has its stigma because of its connection to hell and mm-hmm. uh, it is typically seen as, uh, has a sort of negative connotation to it. Um, I think Nim just wanted to cross compare um, between like what she was raised with um, in terms of uh, like knowing that she has this uh, magic ability and that it is to be used to its potential Mm -hmm. um, versus seeing what that looks like out in the world and what the perspective on that is. It's definitely negative. Definitely negative. negative. Yeah, (laughs) definitely, definitely negative. Uh, But the trade-off is that it's really powerful. Right. You know, fiendish magic, especially in its, like, purest form, um, which you will come to learn, obviously, as you you level. Uh, Fiendish magic is really powerful. As I I, uh, graduate annually? Yeah. And you... (laughs) level up your intelligence no Uh -uh. No? you (laughs) become smarter sure you get more smart yeah as you elevate yourself and your academic knowledge every year one step higher than it was before yes so uh but one of the things that's covered is that like Infernal magic, fiendish magic, uh-huh. um, and that's actually a good distinction I should make. Infernal magic and demonic magic, they are very different. Mm-hmm. Fiend, obviously, being a blanket term for devils or demons, you'll, uh, if we were to reference the Monster Manual, it would say demon, parentheses, fiend. Yeah. Right? Or no, it would say fiend, parentheses, demon. It's actually that way. Say fiend... Parentheses demon or parentheses devil. They are very distinct. They are obviously all from this negative energy plane in my homebrew world, but they're very different. Uh, infernal magic comes from a lawful place, and demonic is very chaotic and erratic and hard to control. So infernal magic is in some ways more powerful, but it obviously takes much more effort on your part as the student to learn and everything is very particular. Infernal magic has a very rigid structure to it. Mm-hmm. And if you can master the structure, you can become very powerful with what you can evoke. Right. I believe in 5e, um, white dragons are written to be like the most um, bestial, like the least intelligent, but they're the most like chaotic. About, that sounds about right. Um, so they're, they're powerful, but they're not going to be, like, smart, as smart about how they fight you. Um, so there's that level of, like, um, what unrestrained power looks like versus what calculated power looks like. A very good distinction for the demonic and infernal magics. 
Because demons can, demons can summon a lot of power, but without that sort of rigid structure and cold, calculating nature that a devil has, it's just fireball, 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 ah! Yeah. But really, if you know what you're doing, you don't need to be blasting fireballs all over the places, you know. If you know where to strike. Exactly. Um, infernal versus what was the other one? Demonic. Demonic. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, and uh, and so th that that class o over the course of several weeks, several months, as as you begin to explore and learn more in this uh, first year yeah. of uh, your time at the conservatory, um, covers all those topics over over that many months, mm -hmm. um, and uh, really focuses on the cultural representation and how society views magic and we've which we've covered um so it's a really cool like tour uh of all the different viewpoints that exist the different types of mages and the common folk and one other point that is really pertinent for you nymira is that uh one of the biggest things that's covered in this class is nobility mm -hmm. right uh what a noble mage is what is expected of a noble mage <clears throat> and uh the practice of magic at court mm -hmm. um and not legal court but uh like if they were to, to an audience yeah like if a, the noble noble family were to throw a ball yeah be be considered like being at court noble's court mm -hmm. um and so you you focus on what types of magic are acceptable at court and what types of magic are acceptable if you were visiting another noble mage's estate, things like that. There are certain magics that are easily identifiable based on their components mm -hmm. and what's acceptable. Uh, something like prestidigitation, of course, is a very is a noble mage's right. standard. You know, no one... People will recognize the gestures you need for... for prestidigitation and no one will get upset with you but if you were to say try to summon minor illusion while you were at a noble's estate um, or even in town where there's a, a watchful presence town right. guard um, those types of spells are kind of like people pe yeah people people take notice too yeah you know because there's a lot of rules in terms of what mages are allowed to do within city limits yeah um and there's paperwork involved and having the right permits in order to really conduct... Magic is so fun. Yeah, it's so <laughs> great, you know? Um, at some point, when I start getting comfortable enough to, like, bring snacks to my little back room, um, maybe, like, the second or third time I do, I want to um, also leave, like, various... Very stereotypical, like a apple. Mm -hmm. Um, at her office and see if it's gone next time I'm there. Oh, it definitely is. I make it a regular thing when I notice that it's gone. Very important. What type of apple? <laughs> no, don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> some are good and some are bad, and I don't know which is which. Gotcha. Can we all accept that Granny Smith apple is the worst? Sure. <laughs> That's fingerless glove vibes right yeah, there. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, I 
Yeah. Bright red shiny apple. Yeah, without being too like this is a poisoned. This is too good looking to be yeah. non-poisoned. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Cool. Very cool. I don't know if. Yep. Okay. Anything else you want to cover in terms of magic and society? Any other questions that you might have? No. Um, because this this will be us touching on it for this year. Yeah. This is a very very basic course. Yeah. The the homework is obviously like read several chapters in preparation, and each uh, each begins with a sort of uh, presentation with different you know chapters. Yeah. Um, we'll say since there are six people in the class, each one reads a chapter and presents it to the class, which is the six of them. Um, so there's a lot of repetition, learning it repeating it and then the final exam is a written overview effectively of the whole yeah. year of all of the magic and society that they've learned at a few points i want to ask Aerith about the class and get a ask her what she thinks of it so far but the first opportunity you do get to ask she says i don't think professor bradley would like me discussing it with you um well, you don't have to tell me anything. That's right, I don't. But would you like to? You see her kind of shift visibly. She's visibly uncomfortable. And she says, What do you even do with your time when you're not in the class? Um, well, I do a bit of um, cardio. Make a deception check. <laughs> I lie. That's not true. I mean, that is true. Oh, okay. With the running <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Persuasion, though? Uh, sure. Okay. Okay. Ten total. Uh, she kind of squints her eyes and adjusts her glasses like she does. Uh, all right. <laughs> Good to get your steps in. Um, yeah, like... I mean, you don't have to, like, teach me the class. Like, I'm okay, but uh, did you have fun? Did you learn anything? Yes. <laughs> Learned magic and society, I suppose. Mm -hmm. That's the professor. Oh. Beautiful. Okay. Well, um... Uh, are you having this conversation near or in the presence of any of the other students? Yeah, like, are you probably back in, in the dorm? back at the dorm. Okay. Uh, there's e ears, right? Yeah, yeah. And she, very clearly, Aerith is dodging your questions, mm -hmm. being, being evasive. And uh, <laughs> Chiwi will say, uh, <clears throat> um, it's a really boring nightmare. You're not missing much. <laughs> Oh, um, that's too bad. Uh, well, I guess I'm lucky I'm not stuck in such a boring class then. I mean, there was this one thing that we talked about, which was zombie slaves. It was really cool. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, <laughs> every now and again, I want to kind of poke Aerith, um, about it. Like, uh, see if she'll budge at all. It, but. Why don't you make a persuasion check? Me? Yeah, see how persuasive your personality is. Uh-huh. Seven. 
So, I mean, over the course of, you know, a few weeks as you're every once in a while, like, oh, you know, poking about the class and stuff. You can see her, like, go from being visibly uncomfortable about this particular topic to just flat out, like, eye roll. Every time you do it, it's like, just, ugh. <laughs> like that Robert Downey Jr. gif from yes. Avengers where he's just like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, you, she starts, it's less uncomfortable, like, and more, like, straight up, like, annoyed, just, uh, and so finally, after a few times, she says, you know, if you want to know what they're being taught in the class, why don't you just ask Professor Bradley if you can join us? Your parents have probably donated enough money to buy your way in anyway. Zlickstrin. While you're thinking, everyone else in the room, quiet. Like, pin drop quiet. And everyone is like this. Wait, for you. Eyes wide open. Like, just eyes wide. Like, oh, shit. Except for Lena, who's, like, leaning in, like, like big smile on her face. Like, <laughs> popcorn, popcorn. Yeah, popcorn, popcorn. Like, waiting. Like, huh? Um, I... Bite my tongue for like a solid at least 10 seconds. Um, you're right. Maybe, maybe I should ask if I can join the class. Um, are you close with her? Me? Why would I be close to the professor? Well, I thought being the best student, maybe you would have the best, um, chance at getting me in. I feel like the person who was so academic in the class, who was so good at it, would maybe have the best ability to ask for me if I can get in the class. Lena is white knuckling the bed. <laughs> Just like, oh shit! <laughs> Just dead white knuckles like, oh. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't say anything. It's just a. Uh, yeah, yeah, just. Uh, shit. Uh, Alliday has that like that like golden you know like a puppy head tilt like, huh? Yeah. Interesting, and like, Brayton and Sid appear to kind of be like, elbowing each other, kind of you know chuckling, snickering, yeah. right? Um, and you're watching Chiwi, has their pinky finger out and is like shoving it up their own nose and it looks like they're picking their nose mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, Aerith just looks at you and like grabs her glasses and like adjusts I'm just like doe eyed like maybe you can help me kind of face uh, make an inside check okay uh, 16 uh, you get the sense that Aerith is hiding the fact that she's blushing right now. Uh-huh. And she is adjusting her glasses, kind of looking down, adjusting her glasses. And then she kind of stops. She does that, like, middle finger extended push-up glasses all the way back up to the bridge. Well. 
I never expected a Zlikstrin to ever acknowledge that my superiority. I'll see what I can do. And everyone else is kind of like chuckling now, like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Aerith. You're such a good friend. Uh, do you remember in the first session when Brayton and Sid interacted and Sid went like beat red, yeah, like yeah. anime cheek red, yeah. fucking doe eyes? Uh, Aerith tries really hard to hide the fact that she just goes red mm-hmm. and turns around. And like walks right <laughs> over to her stuff, like okay. Go, I she was gonna leave no. the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, she walks over to her bed and she starts like busy work. Like she's go, she opens her trunk and she's like going through. Like oh. doesn't say anything, but very clearly like, <laughs> <laughs> just, like yeah. And cu- uh, cu- sort of cutting through that moment, yeah, to almost break that tension. Chiwi goes. With with their finger way up their nose, like, guys, did you know that if you don't have really sharp nails, you can like pick your nose? Oh my god! Looks like you're touching brain a little bit. You might wanna be a little careful still. Uh-huh. What brain? <laughs> okay. Gonna let her. I'll give a no, but like, what brain? Huh? Maybe some time to. I kind of. <laughs> yeah. Dislike. They're, they're no, yeah, their fingers went up their nose like the whole time. Yeah. Like, ah! Ah! Oh. Finger out of nose. Like, ah. And then, as you let go, you like, Chibi brings their finger up, and you see Chibi like. I have a handkerchief. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna polish it for them. Any other dormitory fun? Okay, all right. Uh, Philosophy of magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, You a a course that you're actually in. Say the professor name again for me. Dario. Dario. I said da Dario before. You did wrong. Yeah. Professor Dario. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Josephine Dario. If you Josephine. Josephine. Yes. Uh, and topics that get covered in the in the course over the over the year. Uh, we we covered a little bit of it. We talked about um, the ethics and metaphysics and uh-huh. uh, uh, philosophical theory and things like that. Um, one thing that you touched on, you started to touch on the first time you visited the class was like the ethics behind uh summoning right conjuration magic yeah and fiends Mm -hmm. stuff like that and there was the talk of like the uh, infernal law Uh and uh that sort of like lawful the lawful structure of conjurative magic but specifically in terms of fiends Mm -hmm. and hell Mm -hmm. um and uh Professor Dario did do a relatively job of <laughs> of dodging your questions oh. and not necessarily uh, breaching the topic on the first day of mm-hmm. class. But over the weeks and months of the course, a lot more of that starts to come up. Questions of, like, is it ethical? 
um, in terms of like magic circles. Are they ethical? You're trapping a creature against its will. Yeah. Um, uh, or, or and also moral, right? What's the morality of that? Like an evil creature being trapped versus a good creature being trapped. Yeah. Um, so that comes up a lot over the 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 coursework of the class. Mm-hmm. Was there anything in specific that you wanted to inquire about? Um. I guess I wanted to hit on the fiend thing again, conjuring fiends, see if she had any more of a thing to say about Well, she presents a lot of topics in the class as a sort of like game for the students to figure out, right? Right, yeah. Like a, a, the, the game of, of putting, t- taking two of you, setting you opposed sides. Yeah. Like it's, it's ethical versus it's unethical, moral versus immoral. And she is more interested in seeing, not necessarily that there's a right or wrong answer here, uh, because you start to get the sense that she doesn't believe there is a full right or full wrong answer, but she does take interest in very specific, uh, very specific examples that are given in class of like what exactly defines like the ethical use of a conjurative spell mm-hmm. to, to summon something that it, against its will, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Real quick, John Mullaney has a bit about when he was in college for his English degree. Um, at one point, he, w- he was talking about how philosophy classes are kind of like whatever. Um, but he said that you can literally just be like, I think Emily Dickinson was a lesbian, and they go, partial credit. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Dickinson was definitely a lesbian. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the the, the the topic of summoning fiends, um, trapping them in magic circles, there are spells that summon them and then like you have control of them for a short period of time and then they break free of it. Um, so there's, there's a lot of question marks there and she doesn't really answer any of them. Mm-hmm. Her, her thing is more Socratic, like why, why, yeah. why? Putting it out there so that you can... That you think about it because chew on that. Yeah, and one of the big things about philosophy, at least in my personal experience, outside of the game, is that it's all about the question mm-hmm. and not necessarily about finding a one true right answer. Because there, I guess, depending on your viewpoint, there really isn't one. Right. Um, and so, like whether her, altruism exists or not. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, so Dario focuses on getting you to ponder the question and think about an answer, uh-huh. not necessarily the one that she wants you to think about or that other people want you to think about, but the answer that you would naturally think about, what you, conclusion you would make. I don't really have any reason to believe this, but I feel like this is Brighton's shit. Just like very like... Oh, like... Uh... Like, the the thought-provoking, like... Yeah, I haven't really seen, like, what type of stuff Brayton's into, but this seems like the kind of, like... He he seems like a ponderer, maybe. Or maybe he's empty-headed. No, I, I definitely agree with you, the idea that he's... A lot of it is internalized for him. Yeah. Right? He does ask these questions, and he does really... He's very pensive. Yeah. One of the notes I have is that he's pensive. Uh, but he's not talkative. He's like that quiet pensive where it's just good enough for him to think the things and not necessarily vocalize a lot of his thoughts. 
Um, and so it's funny that you bring that up because in this course specifically and in the time in between coursework for Philosophy of Magic, you can hear Brayton and Sid interacting about coursework like this, mm -hmm. stuff that, that would bear a discussion. And you get the sense that Brayton and Sid don't see eye to eye on a lot of this oh, stuff. Yeah. Because uh, Sid has a very... Sid's background is um, elemental. Uh -huh. And uh, Ganassi, uh, in my world, can be derived from both uh, Jin elemental and then like pure elementals, mm -hmm. the way that you would say like a fire elemental on one side of it and a, an Ifridi on the other side. So you get the sense that Sid is speaking from a position of maybe Sid is Jin um, descended. Yeah. Because Sid has a position that, well, you know, what about Jin? Jin are, royal Jin are typically bound by a bottle and mm -hmm. can be bound and are forced into servitude. And uh, Ifridi are usually presented as evil mm -hmm. and you have Brayton who isn't traditionally vocal about his opinion but Brayton giving an opinion like well for Freedy are evil and their want is destruction and malevolence then binding them to prevent that right is not only good but necessary right Right, uh, and Brayton has a very strong opinion about the uh, all that evil needs to triumph is good men to do nothing. That's sort of Brayton's solid yeah. core viewpoint, um, and especially coming from a family of other mages who are good and well known in their region for being kind and giving and caring to the common folk, and mm -hmm. and, and so he's. You see that he's, as he did, you know, over the year, very interested and strives to live up to, like, his family's good name. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's this, like, not necessarily, like, headbutt, but yeah. there's this back and forth that you hear between Sid and Brayton many nights yeah. <laughs> talking about that sort of thing. And, and I definitely want to um, pick Brayton's brain a little bit about... Um... I don't know, his his goodness? Like, I feel like Nymira wasn't necessarily raised... Definitely raised in, like, um, how to uphold the family reputation and uh, manners and things like that. But this might be the first time that she's hearing, like, um, the concept of, like, what is inherently good and what is inherently bad. So I, I think... Uh, she's gonna occasionally pick uh, Brayton's mind about it. On one particular topic, you catch uh, one particular instance. You catch them uh, speaking about um, conjuring uh, different types of creatures, uh -huh. beings, um, and you catch them really specifically talking about the term creature versus the term monster which is something that Brayden and Sid kind of butt heads over because in Brayden's mind, if it's evil inherently, destructive inherently, then it's a monster. Mm -hmm. But 
Sid has a much more nuanced view where Monster would seem to indicate that the creature, the being, knows that what it's doing is destructive and evil and chooses to do it anyway. Uh. Like that's, that's the nuance that he believes. Yeah. So something like a red dragon is a monster. Something like a red dragon is a monster because it knows what it's doing is evil yeah. and chooses to do it anyway. Versus, um, are you familiar with an onk egg? No. It's uh, sort of like a bug-like. A lo- it's large bug-like creature with these big, like praying mantis style. No, it's a it's a bu- it's a monstrosity, I think. Oh, okay. Um, but it, just as a general example, this onk egg, I think is what it's called. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, kind of bug-like mandibles. It is neutral evil generally, mm-hmm. at least in terms of mechanical alignment. Because it's a, it has a super low intelligence. It's it's instinctual. It yeah. wants to feed, and reproduce, right? It doesn't have that conscious decision to harm another right. creature. It's hunting to feed itself. Yeah. And it's, and, you know, um, like I'm sure a lot of the creatures we come across in D and D are like territorial, but like to us they're mm-hmm. evil because we're just on our mission, and they're fucking... Yeah. Like, uh... B- bullets, bullets, land, land sharks, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Very, very... They just, they hunt on instinct. They are not evil in that... Yeah. I'm gonna kill the next adventurer that comes here. <laughs> ah! I guess territorial is a bad word, because dragons are very territorial and very evil. That's true, yes. <laughs> so maybe uh, not a good... But like a sort of in a natural in their natural habitat, undisturbed, they don't kill for sport, uh-huh. right? They kill what they need to survive. Whom? The, those types of creatures that are not. Yes. They don't have. They don't possess the same mental capacity that. Uh, cruelty. Cruelty, right? They don't possess that cruelty. Um, that that's where their nuances. So that is Ooh. the that's the discussion that you happen to. Over here. Um, I'm going to butt in and find a point to be like, what are you guys talking about? Uh, Brayton kind of looks over and gives you like a smile, like a welcoming, like, and right as Brayton opens his mouth, Sid cuts in and is like, Brayton's trying to, um... Um, he, he's, he's trying to, he, he insists that all, you know, non-humanoid creatures are monsters as a blanket term uh-huh. in reference to everything from, uh, you know, dragons to, um, to, uh, onk eggs to fiends. Yeah. They're all monsters. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, there's... I get where he's coming from, but they're not all monstrous. Right. You know, only only some of them are. And so, my perspective, creature is a better term to, as a sort of all-inclusive. Um, and as he's speaking, Brayton says, yes, well, on a, on a technical, on a technical aspect, you know, uh, Sir Kellen of Middleton, the famed historian has written several manuals about these monsters 
And so from a technical perspective, these monster manuals detail monsters the way that a manual would. So it's not a technicality like that these things are, are called monsters. I'm just curious, what do you think about people who are described as monsters? Sid kind of smiles and gets all like, <laughs> yeah, what do you think? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, assuming your question was directed at Brayton. Yeah, yeah. So Sid, Sid gets your back like, yeah, what do you think? You know, <laughs> uh, and Brayton says, well, I suppose that if it's an earned title, then it makes sense. Uh, I wouldn't say that all humans are monsters. And... Sid jumps in and is like, yeah, not all creatures are are monsters. So if some people can be monsters, then what's the, what's the factor to you that makes them monstrous? Uh, Brayton, when Brayton has a, a very specific way that he adjusts his glasses. Um, you know, Aerith grabs the whole wireframe, top and bottom at he the same time. Full head tilt. Brayton takes his index finger, curls it around like this, and just lifts the glasses up from the bottom yeah. with his finger like this. Brayton adjusts his glasses, kind of knuckles his glasses up, and he says, Well, I suppose the defining factor of what separates a, a, a human being or, or, or say, a, a, a humanoid from a humanoid monster uh -huh. is the intent right. and the cruelty that they exhibit. Mm -hmm. If if a humanoid exhibits cruelty to other humanoids or other monsters, then if it's a conscious choice, then that is it's an act of a monster. You know, much the same way that um, you know someone who guilty of serial murders is cruel, we could say that person is monstrous. So you believe cruelty is monstrous? I think it inherently it is, yes. Is that in line with what you think, Sid? Um, I mean... I, yeah. I, that checks out. You know, if if someone shows deliberate cruelty to another, knowing that it is wrong, yeah. that seems pretty monstrous to me. This class is interesting. Brayton kind of turns to Sid and says, see, that there's something that, that, that we can agree on. You know, that, that the cruelty defines a monster. And Sid says, well, what about with the creatures of the realm, right? Like a, a, a devil or a fiend, right? Most assuredly cruel mm -hmm. and decidedly so. They are inherently, as far as far as we know, inherently evil. Then does that, that makes them a monster. But what about an owlbear? Owlbears aren't, they don't, they don't hunt for sport. They don't, they don't, you know, they don't go out of their way to sharpen their blade, ready to backstab the next, you know, adventurer who crosses their path. And can I interrupt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I don't remember if it's in the monster manual, but I believe it's written somewhere. I think I've told you before that the best it's written that like the best thing about Albers is the person who created them is probably dead. <laughs> yeah. Um Oh, they the owlbears don't are not premeditated. Right. Yeah, so Sid's like owlbears are not they, their actions aren't premeditated. Right. If you stumbled upon an owlbear and you say got too close and they were protecting a, a child, you know, a, a, a cub or would it be a cub or a I guess a cub, right? It's a mostly bear. Um that that would be it that would be it just survival instincts protecting its itself and and its young would that is that a monster and brain says well owlbears are decidedly monstrosities they are not natural occurring creatures they are defined by their very trait as a monstrosity so monster is the most applicable term maybe it's less about whether they are a monster or not, and more about how you handle it. What you do with the monstrous creature, or a monstrosity, or a monstrous person. Um, I, I, I guess in the moment it doesn't really matter what the <laughs> classification is. Sid takes the opportunity to chime in and says, what about elementals and Jin? Are they monstrous? To me? No, he says this to Brayton. Oh, yeah. And you see Brayton kind of, uh, you know, kick his glasses up. And Brayton says, well, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say monstrous but in a very general sense they're monsters they're covered in the monster manuals that Sir Kellen has written and you see Sid kind of deflate a little bit yeah and the embers on the, the tips of Sid's hair uh, kind of uh, dwindle mm -hmm. um, as if the fire is going out maybe maybe that's a good place to take a break from talking about this Brayton does the very southern thing where he goes welp and he slaps his <laughs> he slaps his knees and stands up and he says I'm going to go to the commissary and I'm going to get some snacks. And he turns to Sid and Brayton says, uh, would you want to go with me or do you want me to get you something? And you see Sid's kind of like doing that shy thing, right? One arm down, other arm holding the elbow, like, no, I'm okay. I'll stay here. And Brayden's like, oh, they have these really, really good like mud pies. I could get you one if you want, or we could share one. And you see Sid kind of like 
cheer up like a little bit like yeah that, that'd be nice Braden's like cool and he walks off fuck me I guess <laughs> <laughs> so Brayden walks off to to head out just Brayden mm-hmm um I'm gonna check in with Sid um hey are, are you all right I know that got a little rough he did uh, Sid, uh, like, scratches the, the back of his neck, and he's, like, there, like, uh, um, yeah, I think Brayton's just, I don't know, kind of oblivious sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think he means well. Yeah. Um... I, th I think when people hurt people by being oblivious, um, like, you know there's no bad intent with it, so you can't take it as that he's saying anything to hurt you. And that doesn't mean you can't feel bad about it. But, um, maybe, maybe later if you're up for it, you can let Brayton know why, um, that maybe didn't sit well with you. Maybe. I, I think he really cares about you, and I think if it hurt your feelings, he would want to know. Maybe. She like smiling. Are they like smiling a little bit? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy your food when it gets here. Sid just sort of like turns and like lays down on the bed. <laughs> In a happy way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> cool. Lena is like. Gold. Fucking gold. Uh, how do you feel about monsters, Lena? Kill them. Kill them all. <laughs> Only the really bad ones. You know. It's fucking... Like, dragons and shit. Maybe one day we'll slay something together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right now I'm slaying that kitchen because I'm starving. Come on, Percy. And she gets up. Percy jumps on her shoulders and she leaves mm -hmm. to, to go get a bite. Chiwi is laying on the floor kind of as close to the middle of the room as possible because there's a ta the tables in the middle of the room. Uh -huh. But Chiwi's like on the floor just to the left of the table, fingered deep in their oh, nose. Oh, boy. Ah! Speaking of gold! Ah! Striking it rich now! <laughs> okay. Is there a manners course at the conservatory? <laughs> no? Second year. Second year. Okay. <laughs> Thank God it's the last session of year one. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, well, we have come to the... 
uh, last major part of... What's up? Brayton was mentioning Sir... I almost said Sir Ian McKellen. <laughs> Sir Kellen of Middleton. Mm-hmm. As a nonfiction author. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Where I know him as a... Oh, I'm reading my books throughout the year. Yes, you are. Let's do that. Yes, um, but first your question now. Let's let's handle this. Because it's on the front of your mind, and I'm I, you're right there, and I want you to ask. I don't have a question to ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. It seems like... Um, very eclectic, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Sir Kellen. Um, yeah, I want to read my books. And maybe... Um, if Aerith, like, goes off to study in the library or something... I want to peek at the book that I gave her, Mage Monomus, <laughs> <laughs> um, and see if there's like a bookmark that's moved, like if she's gone through it. I want to see if she actually read it. Uh, sort of over time, you're trying to peek yeah. and see if the bookmark is moving. Yeah. Um, yes, in fact. But let's see if you do so stealthily. Okay. Self? Yes. Oh. <laughs> of oh. course. <laughs> A natural 20. <laughs> That's double the dice. 25 total. 25. 25? Woo! You nope. Was... 22. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you stealthy wizard. 22. Uh, first, first part. Uh... You, I should say that uh, this Mage Monomyth book um, really has a, a very intricate and colorful <laughs> cover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very stylish. Very well designed. Um, just, just colorful, I guess, is the only real word that describes it. Um, mage on the cover. Mm -hmm. Wand and book in hand. Sorry, wand and tome in hand. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very well designed uh, cover art, if you want to call it that, cover art. As you're sneaking around uh, to kind of keep keep an eye on Aerith's reading habits, yes, you notice that in the span of like a week, the bookmark goes from towards the front of the book to like the back of the book. That's what I was hoping for. And then the following week, it's back at the front of the book. Mm -hmm. And then you check again, and it's like sort of in the middle. Then you check again, and it's at the end of the book. And it cycles several times. As if she's rereading this book multiple mm -hmm. times over the course of several weeks. Yeah. That's cute. Um, and I also want to read my books as well. Um, which there's... which book are we starting with? Well, well, you'll read all of them over the course of you know. Yeah, but which there were two. It was the Dragon Slaying book and the Magical M Master Mephistopheles. Ah yes. Uh, no no no. 
Shoot, I wrote down. Oh. That what was the <clears throat> what was the book called? The first book we're gonna go over is the. Did you want to do the dragon book first, or do you want to do the? What was it? Uh, Mephistopheles. The mystical Mephistopheles. Mystical Mystic. Um. Yes, that one. Mystical Mephistopheles. Uh, so the book, uh, like we, we covered sort of briefly before, based on the uh, the cover, you were reading kind of a little bit of a synopsis. Synopsis. Uh, the book talks is is the mostly fictitious uh, is the mostly fictitious tale of this uh, mage, a con conjuration mage who uh, uh, travels the nine hells learning all sorts of infernal, oh, yeah. infernal uh, fiendish uh, magics, specifically the conjuration of fiends. Um, is it very like, um, like uh, Odyssey, like getting out of deals with devils and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, has it, that sort of like... Greek epic yeah. feel to it. And this book is actually part of a series where the mystical Mephistopheles uh, journeys through all the different realms. Yeah. So this particular book covers his journey in the Nine Hells, cool. that region of Hellas. Mm -hmm. um, and it talks, uh, you know, like, like you were saying, getting out of deals with devils mm -hmm. and uh, navigating the Nine Realms or the Nine, the nine Hells. Um, the the layers of hell, levels of hell, uh, and his dealings with uh, Asmodeus and other uh, of the arch fiends of Hellas. His most notable interaction is with the arch fiend Moloch. Uh, it in the um, I believe it's the sixth layer of hell, which is Malbolge. Mm -hmm. Uh, his, uh, the, the largest chapter and the, the most harrowing of the tales that are documented in this book, supposedly mostly fictitious tales, yes. uh, is his interaction with Moloch and the fiends of Mabels. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. And it, just, just a very fantastical tale. It also has a very, um... Uh, it has a very strong. What? <laughs> Next year, I'm gonna get a book called like "Wonderful Creatures and Where to Locate Them." <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a movie that came out a while ago uh, where uh, it, Heath Ledger had actually been cast as the main character, and. Uh, he passed away during the filming of the movie and there were three other actors that volunteered to play his character and what they did was his character would enter this like dream world and appear uh, as Jude Law Yeah. and they'd be like oh my you look different and he's like well this is what I look like when I'm in this realm and, uh, and so it was Jude Law I think Johnny Depp was one of them uh, but they got these three different actors to play the same character in these different, like, dream realms. Yeah. Different representations, same character. Um, what that, movie? Huh? What movie? I can't remember the name of it. 
I feel like I'm gonna have to Google it now. Um, but that's the, it, it has this sort of, sort of fantastical element to it where these uh, Mephistopheles, the mystical Mephistopheles is in and out of these realms yeah. and dealing with all sorts of strange creatures and getting up to, you know, shenanigans, antics, general tomfoolery, um, like uh, drawing uh, glasses and a mustache on like a sleeping fiend, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, stuff, stuff like that yeah. that would be seen as, you know, antic-y. Um, Shenanigan-y? Tomfoolery-y. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, uh, kind of a, a legendary titled character that many different ideas for, like, stories and things can fall Exactly. Under. Got it. And and written in such a way that there are definitely there's definitely a lot of room for like like fanfic like there's definitely a healthy heap of mystical Mephistopheles fanfic. Cool. Yeah, for sure. You said he's a tabaxi. He is a tabaxi. Yes, mm-hmm. he is a cat folk. Got it. And then um, I want to read about dragon slaying. Hell yeah. Yeah. What did we do, what did we cover with the the book? Did you did we talk about it at Sir all? Sir Henrik, dragon book. Ah uh, yes, written. yes, Sir Henrik. Um, a the, the book documents a several dragon hunts of Sir Henrik's. Uh, the most notable of which uh, is. Uh, there's a dragon that is well known throughout the realms as Black Verm. And uh, supposedly, Black Verm is a real dragon that lived uh, back when the elders, as they're called in my world, uh, back when the elders lived, uh, Black Verm was one of the biggest and nastiest, most cruel, cunning and conniving of the elders. Um, and, uh, he is said to have been slain by Sir Henrik, um, after a three-day duel, essentially, um, that, uh, uh, nearly claimed Sir Henrik. Did he get a long Um, rest in? Did he get spell slots back? He barricaded himself, no. Uh, that, well, Nim needs to read, Nymir needs to read the book to find out. Um, I thought I was doing that right now. Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> um, you you see that uh, it was a sort of cat and mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Verm is thought to have resided in a uh, the largest, dankest, most awful swamp uh, in the realm. And uh, Sir Henrik tracked him throughout. And there were bouts of fighting. Um, Sir Henrik uh, was traveling with... Uh, companions that, uh, according to the book, remain unnamed because the story is about Sir Henrik and not his companions. Yeah. The companions were more retainers, uh, as a noble might have a squire to maintain his armor and weapons and uh, a major domo to handle correspondence. And, they did um, not make it. They did not. Got it. Yeah. Um, but out of respect for Sir Henrik... Those, uh, his, his companions remained nameless, uh, not only to honor Sir Henrik's, you know, uh, his ultimate, the glory that Sir Henrik receives for slaying Black Verm, but also out of respect for the families. Yeah. 
but I mean, Sir Henrik is well known for having accomplished several great feats uh, in the fic fictional historical texts that some would argue are less fictional mm -hmm. than they are historical. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but a good read. Uh, uh, this particular writing uh, from Sir Kellen is uh, a very, uh, almost has a, like you, would you say earlier, the, uh, the Odyssey? Mm -hmm. No, that was about Mephistopheles. Yeah. The, in this one, it's, it's less about the journey as much as it is, or as more as it, as it is about uh, the like physical and mental and emotional turmoil, like the suffering that Sir Henrik goes through for the, the for monomyth. The... Just kidding. yeah, yes. Um, uh, but yeah, good, good, good historical reads. Yeah. Historical fiction, air quotes. Hmm. Okay. Um, I passed that one on to Lena, um, and see if she would like it. Uh, oh, the dragon slang one? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, she takes it from you and she goes, dragon slang, huh? Ah. I thought it was a real good uh, read. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what I like to do better than more than reading? Actual dragon slaying. Well and she jumps up on her bed and she pantomimes having like a rapier, like a ha ha ah. She like points it at you I and want she's a minor like, illusion. You. Oh some uh like a dragon form. Probably can't do big, right? Like a two, three, four. Foot. Yeah, you might say like a like a pseudo dragon. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I'll kind of have it um, form right in front of me, and then um, just like a small black dragon that kind of um, after I form it, it kind of like bounces around the room as it's like flying around, and then it's gonna like. Minor illusion, um, fire breath at Lena as she was like, ah. So when you create like an actual like illusion of a dragon, she goes from wanting to pantomime a sword. She extends her hand and Percy jumps up into her hand. And his head is kind of near her inner wrist. And he like wraps his arms around her wrist. And then he wraps his feet around like the tips of her fingers. She kind of puts her thumb like around his body and he straightens his tail <laughs> as like stiff as he can. And she's like, ha ha, yeah, come here, I gotcha, I gotcha. I'll do a little play around with the dodging and getting hit and dodging and fire breath. And while you're doing it, every time she stabs, you hear Percy go, And you see her kind of go in for... Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, go. She's, she, she looks like she's going in. She, like, jumps the off the blow. bed to try and do, like, a roll, right? Like, ah, ha, 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 And she jumps up on the chair. Like, if she's facing the chair, she puts one foot on the, the seat. Yeah. And one on the back of the chair and, like, leans down, <laughs> rides the chair down. And as it's about to, like, fall, she jumps up onto the table for one final, like... And you hear Percy go... And I, I give the dragon this big, like, epic roar as it, like, 
gets demolished by this final blow. Percy, like, climbs up her arm, like, climbs up Lena's arm, like, on his shoulder, and you see Percy, like, stand up on his hind legs and put his arms, like, on his quote-unquote waist, like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and And Lena strikes the same pose, uh-huh. like, the, 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 what is it, the Superman pose, yeah. just the hands on waist, like, ha-ha-ha, mm-hmm. and they both sort of in unison, right, like, she's like, ha-ha, and he's like, Will she read the book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just toss it on my bed. Yeah, I, I, get, so. I get to it. I do so. <laughs> well, we've covered your history class, mm-hmm. history of magic, uh, which is just a boring lecture hall. Yeah. Uh, and we've covered, well, that, that was last session. We covered philosophy of magic this session. We covered... Packed app. Uh, yep. Magical uh, Society of Magic. We've touched on all your classes. A couple of them are kind of all in one unified writing course. Um, the only thing we haven't touched on is your first year conjurative class. Mm-hmm. The class where you are going to learn how to conjure a familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, focusing on, obviously, the fine familiar spell. Uh, who is the... You know who the professor is. Oh, it's Sarda, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah, which uh, reminds me that I'm going to show you, just so you have a, you know, visual in your mind's eye. Who that? That's Zarda. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, as you, you know, since we're kind of covering... Not necessarily individual days in class, but covering like, oh, this is what's happening over the course of your, you know, the coursework for the the year. Um, In terms of Zarda specifically, her class, um, the first day of class is all theoretical. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to cover the technical aspects uh, of what it means to... What it means to have a familiar, mm-hmm. what a familiar provides to a mage, mm-hmm. um, and what it means to be responsible for your familiar and fair to your familiar. Uh, a lot of she she talks about mages that she's known having been very uh, having treated their familiars poorly. Constantly sending their familiars into dangerous situations. Yeah. Um, and on some minor level, on the lower levels, conjuring a familiar means finding, like pulling a spirit that takes a physical form. And a familiar dying just sends that spirit back to the realm from which it was conjured. However, there are cases of acquiring familiars that are uh, what she refers to as non-traditional. So, uh, one of the most common familiars, which she talks about in her class, is an imp, uh-huh. uh, a a tiny fiend, mm-hmm. uh, which of course is a a not just a random spirit in the form of a spider or a bird or whatever. Uh, an imp is a is a creature yeah. that is intelligent, you know, on the baseline level of a regular humanoid, mm-hmm. um, and so. Those types of familiars bond with you mm-hmm. the way the spell will bond with the spirit, but they also have a 
there must be a willing component, right? An, an imp must agree to serve you. Yeah. And an imp will agree to serve you if your interests are aligned with its interests. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. it's not compelled to stay in your service. Mm-hmm. There is some level to it where you are the... The, the captain and you're giving the order and the imp must follow but if it is very clear that it's diametrically opposed for example you run into issues and familiars don't want to serve you in terms of a familiars that first year first year students would easily summon yeah uh the the list is the pretty pretty standard, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look up the fine horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because everyone wants a seahorse yeah, as a familiar, yeah. you know. Um, you know, bats, cats, stuff like that. Um, uh, the the process by which you summon them as you're learning the spell is that you require uh, you know herbs and incense. Um, things that are consumed by the spell, a certain uh, gold piece amount, mechanically is how that yeah. works. Um, but as uh, you go over for the first few days of class and for uh, into the first couple weeks of class, there are specific things that you need in order to summon specific types of familiars. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that the spell covers mechanically is that the familiar you summon takes the form of uh, an animal or beast of some kind. And then the secondarily, it takes the celestial, fiend, or fey template. Yeah. So you might get a fiendish-looking spider, right, or a celestial little fox or something. Yeah. And uh, what you learn in the course of the Fundamentals of Conjuration, which is the official name of the of the course not only about conjuration work in general, but specifically regarding familiars, is that in my game world, my homebrew world, there are specific uh, things that you need in order to facilitate that. So the player's handbook might say herbs, you know, 11 herbs and spices, right, to summon a familiar. Uh (laughs) But in my game world, it's a little bit more specific than that. Yeah. And so Zarda goes over... Essentially, the three basic uh, herbs or plants that you need to summon a, either a fiendish, fey, or celestial familiar, uh, which we're about to go over right now. So, if you want to. Uh, so, for fey uh, themed familiars, for them to have the, the fey template, what you need is a plant called Lunar Root. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a type of weed, uh, so named because it has a soft glow in direct moonlight. You said lunar root? Yes. One, one word, if if you want the technical accuracy, with one R, L-U-N-A-R-O-O-T, lunar root. Okay. If you would like your notes to be technically accurate, according to the homebrew lore. Uh, they are found in the deeper parts of the wilds, uh-huh. uh, forests and things like that. Uh, parts that are closer to, uh, civilization, not so much, but if you were to go kind of deeper into the heart of like a, uh, a nearby forest, you might find them. Mm-hmm. 
and that is one of the uh, one of the plants that you need to incorporate. If you incorporate all the other base like incense and 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 herbs and things, uh, you put in one lunar root, mm -hmm. and then what you summon has the Fey right. template. Um, for the celestial template uh, of Find Familiar, in order to get a celestial template, you would need Empyrianese. They are a very specific type of flower uh, known for their brilliant white petals and their uh, near metallic golden Damon? Stamen? Yeah. The stuff in the center of the flower yeah. that comes out. It's, it's gold. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. gold. Like, not literally made of gold, but it is reflective shiny. and shiny like gold. Cool. It has a golden color to it. Empyrenes. Um, uh, they are very rare. Very, very rare to find this type of uh, plant. But Zarda tells you that they happen to grow in one very specific place in Zalesh, the city that you're in, which is the, uh, what's known as the Crystal Gardens, uh, which is located at the Cathedral of the Seven Sages of Grace. Now, that's a long term for a cathedral dedicated to the seven main deities, mm -hmm. um, who are known collectively as the Seven Sages of Grace. Uh, their, the Crystal Gardens is a sort of like hanging gardens where all of the plant life are in like vases and planters that are made of crystal. This like really in its purest form crystal. No. Um, yes. Uh, and the, it, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain. It, if you go there, I will go into more detail about what the place looks like. But it is well known that this garden is, it's like an indoor garden, uh, starting in this like courtyard of the cathedral. Like so, greenhouse indoor? Yeah. Got it. At, at the center of this cathedral, there's like an, a courtyard. Yeah. But the courtyard is much more than a courtyard. It's like a massive courtyard. Uh-huh. <laughs> that has a greenhouse in it. And the greenhouse is so large that if you are inside of it, it looks like it has its own cloud. Yeah, like, own climate. Yes, its own climate inside. So you can't biosphere. see... Yes, it's a giant... That's the word. <laughs> it's a giant biosphere yeah. at the center of this cathedral. Really cool. And it's known as the, the Crystal Gardens. And they grow... And they grow um, in... Empyrenes here? is here. It's one of the only places on Zalesh that they grow. Uh -huh. or, uh, sorry, on Aval, the continent. Mm -hmm. in Zalesh. Mm -hmm. It's one of the only places they grow. Mm -hmm. The final ingredient, yes. the one that I'm sure you're oh so interested in learning about, is what you need in order to summon a fiendish template familiar. And it is a, it is a root, a plant known as Sanguinus Ver... <laughs> I just remember what inspired this. Uh, it is known as Sanguinus veriformans. 
it bears a somewhat striking resemblance to somewhat striking. It bears a resemblance to blue flower, red thorns. Oh, that's a Shrek reference. Sorry, <laughs> you wouldn't get it. Uh, I, you know, I watched Shrek <laughs> with my little sister. Because oh. there was a whole period period of time where hi Allie, if you're listening, where she was doing the we're gonna stay up late. Share oh. manly stories, and in the morning, I make your waffles. And she would say it, that, on loop, yeah, all yeah, the yeah. time. Uh, and it was adorable, so. So, what does it look like? <laughs> it, it bears a resemblance to those, like, long, thin, succulent plants. Like, succulent, cacti, like, the, uh, that have, like, the ridges on the side. They look like, uh, ta- like, yes. talons coming out, right? I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. But they're red. Uh-huh. They're distinctly like a deep blood red color. And the sap that they exude looks and smells and tastes like blood. Mm-hmm. It has a very like coppery, like metallic yeah. taste. Uh, maybe it is. Who knows? But it definitely just, it looks, it has the same consistency like the, it, it, rather than a traditional sap, it is like a blood consistency to it, mm-hmm. which is to say that it's kind of more liquidy. Gross. Um, yeah, absolutely gross. Um, there's only one place that they're found. Uh-huh. They only grow... In hell. In Hellas. In Hellas? Yeah. They only grow in Hellas. For real Yeah. Okay. Now, they do grow across Limbo. Uh-huh. But they do also grow in the nine hells. So fucked up. Yeah. You children will go to the garden. You children will go to the forest. And you get to go to hell. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, she doesn't necessarily immediately... When she starts listing these off and going into detail, she doesn't immediately <laughs> say, these only grow in hell. But you do come to learn that information... Over the course of several weeks. Uh-huh. And when it becomes clear that she's gearing up to have you each choose the f- type of familiar you're going to. Yeah. Um, to summon. Uh, she starts to imply that you are going to have to acquire these materials yourself as part of this class. Uh-huh. In the lead up to that, she talks to you guys about these, uh, using these like this minor conjurative ability to almost sort of like illusory, like a mix of illusion magic and conjuration magic. She's trying to teach you the somatic, the somatic and verbal components to find familiar. Uh But uh, she's teaching you this. And when you do it correctly for the first time, it flashes sort of this, illusory image of what you will summon when you do the spell Mm -hmm. as a sort of like subconscious projection of the creature that you think will serve you. What you see in your mind Mm -hmm. creates this sort of briefly real, but mostly translucent, illusory. Like a spark of a creature. Eldon talks about his familiar, which obviously is the kind of white... A snowy barn owl, um, and he's Bubo. Bubo, and he's already mastered the, the find his level one uh, 
magic initiate feat is find familiar, find familiar Got it. and can summon his celestial owl. But when you when the everyone's practicing, all mm-hmm. the the others sixty some of the students, uh, Valene Sanguina, yeah, gets it on the first try. Yeah, and her familiar is a a fiendish looking black cat with these intense like fangs, Ooh. like you've seen those black cats that look like they're vampire I, cats. Yeah, they're yeah. vampire cats with these long, stark white fangs. You know that type of deer that's. It has vampire teeth. Yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so she flicks her wrist and does it immediately, gets it perfect on the first try. Yeah. Uh, and that's the this sort of fiendish looking vampire type cat. Yeah. Um, so what Nim needs to do is make an arcana check uh-huh. to see if Nim she can get it on her first try. Um, Arcana? Mm-hmm. 15 total. When Nim flicks her wrist and says the words correctly, what do we see? After all the, uh, dragon stuff, after the dragon book and the minor illusion, um, I, I think she sees like a, just like a spark of a, like a very unconfident like brief glimpse of like the general shape of a dragon interesting (laughs) without the intent to bring that up when that appears several of the students near you see it and they like they're not really like looking directly at you or looking at your, because everyone is doing their own thing. Um, but as that sort of appears, however brief it is, several of the students near you like look over away, like lose concentration on what they're doing and look over at you. And Zarda notices that like several students around you all turn to look at you. But by the time she looks, it's gone. Yeah. I, I imagine it's like, a hardly flickering like image of a vague form of a dragon and then once it starts getting attention I, I lose focus and I just And as you lose focus and it fizzles out, you feel Zarda standing right behind you. I clench up. <sighs> and it, now that Zarda has like because the way that I imagine you guys are practicing and my imagination. (laughs) So you are. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Is that you guys are all in like the courtyard practicing these out so that it's like magic out in the the open. And you guys are all sort of lined up like in almost like a grid pattern where let's say there's about five foot between each of you, (laughs) you know? Um, And so as she, she's kind of walking, she's pacing around the whole grid Uh and then she moves directly towards Kind of the sort of center where your group is. Yeah. All of the students take notice at Zarda moving, and everyone kind of slowly loses focus on what they're doing. Yeah. And now Zarda's kind of standing right behind you, like hands, you know, kind of her fingers perched together like this, mm-hmm. sort of, but all her fingers are pointing down in front of her, uh, like Mr. Burns, but <laughs> facing down. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, all the students are kind of quieted, quieted, and oh look, shit, quiet. Yes, and looking at you, and Zara says, "Nymira." What did you see? I, I didn't mean to. Um... I didn't ask whether you meant to. I asked what you saw. It looked like a, like a dragon. You hear some of the students kind of one or two rows removed are snickering kind of all around. Yeah. All the students that are very near where Zarda is are like fucking wide-eyed, not making a sound, but the ripple outward yeah. from that. You hear kind of snickering like... Mm -hmm. And she says, that is impossible. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be that. I could try to make it something else. Um... She sort of tunes you out a little bit and turns to her left and looks at, like, the closest student and says, What did you see? And the student does the gulp. Yeah. <laughs> um. A dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and then Zarda kind of turns to her right. And before she, like... Just is opening her mouth before she says anything. The other students like a dragon. I saw a dragon too. And then another student. It was a dragon. It was the shape of a dragon. It was just a small dragon. It definitely had wings. It was a dragon. And then, I get my episodic head burying. <laughs> <laughs> she cuts. She cuts into that like dragon, 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 dragon. She cuts in with enough. Nymira, please report to my office. Right, right now? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, I grab my, my things mm -hmm. and I kind of look over to my friends like, what do I do? Uh, your friends have sort of mixed reactions. So yeah. Sid is... <laughs> I picture Lena like... Like, fists up, like... <laughs> That's funny because I pictured Lena doing the thumb to the throat thing, like... Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's good, too. <laughs> um, uh, Alan A is sort of, like, shaking her head, like... <sighs> very, like, exact... Shoulders up, then down heavily, like... <sighs> Uh, Sid looks really nervous and moves over to Brayton, like, puts their hand, kind of left hand on Brayton's right shoulder mm -hmm. and puts their right hand kind of on the side of his arm, like, peeking up over Brayton's shoulder, like, around, like, oh, like, kind of a nervous look. Um, Chiwi buried. Boom! In the nose! <laughs> and then the silence, Chiwi's like, ah! What? 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 Really quickly, pulls pulls their hands back, like hides their hands behind their back, like, what's happening? Did someone die? It's all silent. A bunch of the students turn to look at Chiwi, and everyone's given like the shut up. Yeah. Oh, sorry. 
uh, and Aerith has this like smug, like her arms are crossed. Smug in a bad way? No, smug like finally, like (laughs) oh, finally, just smiling, like oh. the meekest wave ever and I uh, get my things to go a couple things happen at this point you notice along with some of the other students that Zarda puts her hands behind her back and looks kind of off to the left up over towards like the roof of one of the buildings just kind of like Not really looking at the building, just looking into the distance. And then after, say, I don't know, 25 words worth of seconds, she like looks back down at the students and you see Diz walk out of one of the buildings (laughs) heading towards the group. Yeah. Um, And sort of (laughs) heading towards you and like you're in that like passing Diz and like Diz looks down at you, and all you hear is, "Good luck." <laughs> I say, "Thanks, Diz." Mm. <laughs> As you've gotten somewhat far away, you don't see it because your back's turned. But your friends see that Magnus puts one hand behind his back. Elden, yeah, puts one hand behind his back. And he begins sort of manipulating his fingers in a sort of particular pattern. Uh-huh. And uh, you feel something like brush against your hand. And you notice that it's a piece of paper that is now like in your hand. Mm-hmm. Like it just was like conjured yeah. into your hand. What do you do? Um, it has, oh, it has the Magnus symbol. How far away am I from? You're at this point about 30 feet. From where the group Am is. Am I just walking alone? Diz didn't come to escort no. me. Diz is coming this way past you. Yeah. And you can, you would have seen that Zarda is walking in the direction. Yeah. Out of the crowd of students. With me? In, sort of behind you, but not next to you. So as Zarda is moving out of the student group, Diz is coming toward the student group. To fill in. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, I want to kind of try to read it. Like, if, if, uh, well, you're fi- yeah. Everyone's to your me. back, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm gonna try to look at it and read it. Uh, when you break the seal, the letter kind of almost tries to, like, uh, softly fold open on its own. Uh-huh. Um, sort of like one fl- uh, a four flapped, uh, uh, like I'm. It appears flat and it appears like an envelope, but once the seal breaks, the top part opens. This bottom part opens, and because of the way it's folded, two sides kind of open up. Mm-hmm. And it almost opens up... Uh, Just like doubles all... dimension. Exactly. Got it. And as that, as that happens, a small uh, fiendish-looking woman appears. Like a, not a, an image, but like a glowing, uh, like dancing light of... Over the, like, 
over like you're holding it in your hand and it appears like hologram-y over the note. Yeah, hologrammy. Okay. But uh and sort of like a, a bright kind of reddish orangish color. Yeah. And it appears this figure appears. It is a feminine form with a tail and wings and horns sort of similar to Nim's horns of the straight kind of back like a little bit bent back yeah. more so than Nim's. Like uh, almost like a succubus form, mm-hmm. um, and it appears like dancing uh, over the note, and on the note itself is written uh, "Good luck," and then it says, "Meet me outside of your dorm uh, during the witching hour." Okay, signed by Elden. Uh, signed by um, an M for his. Like his family crest, yeah. Tuck it in my rope. And continue my walk. Okay. So once you get into the building, uh, you make your way towards where you know Zara's office is. Yeah. Um, all the students know where Zarda's office is. They mm-hmm. avoid it as much as they can. Uh, and Zarda is sort of lagging behind. She's only about 30 feet behind you. But as you are making your way down the hallway, you don't see her enter mm-hmm. behind you. Like, even after you get 30, 40, 50 feet down the hallway, like, you don't see her come in. Yeah. And so, uh, does Nim just, does Nymira just head straight to the office? I think before this point, Nymira has not looked behind her. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, probably saw Zarda behind her out of like her peripheral. Probably did like a half turn, like to just get a quick glance of like, okay, she's there, <laughs> and then walking forward. Um, if I walk in and don't see her follow, I'm gonna pause for a moment and fully look back to see if she's really not there. She is not. I keep I... going. 30 seconds, I don't know, how long does Nymira want to wait? Like, do you just turn around, look, see she's not there, then continue? Pretty much. Pause gotcha. for a moment. Um, gotcha. But I was given a direct order that I will be not lollygagging on. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so you make it to Zarda's office, mm-hmm. and as you approach the door, it... <laughs> opens Mm -hmm. the door is ajar i mean it's still a door it's not ajar per se but it is open slightly what does namira want to do i go in (laughs) mage armor (laughs) just kidding (laughs) i don't have that (laughs) not yet you head in right and the the door usually i get to push it in a little bit more right to make And as you push it in to peer in, you see Zarda standing mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. her desk um, uh, at the, like... I don't the, like that at all. Yeah, there's a back... The, ba- <laughs> the back wall of her office is, like, large windows that she's, yeah. like, standing at with her hands clasped. Her, her arms... Shadow casting over the office. Yes. Huh. Her arms are clasped behind her back. We're, like, up near the elbow on each, like, fully clasped. Yeah. And she's just already there. 
Um, <laughs> if it was if it was nighttime, there'd be like a lightning strike. Maddie is nervous, <laughs> laughing. Never is all internal right now. Gotcha. Internal. Sure. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Um, <laughs> you kind of crack the door open and see that she's already there. I think I jump a little bit, definitely. Um, maybe with an, a sound component that I quickly stifle. Just like, <clears throat> come in. Come in. Do you want the door? The door length. As soon as you <laughs> slam shut behind you, <laughs> I'm a little trembly. <laughs> I wait for her to speak. You don't have anything to say. Um, I don't really know why I'm in trouble. She turns like half head turn. Then she looks back out the window. Which looks out on the grounds. Yeah. A good DM would have told you that her office is like up uh -huh. on one of the towers, or like one of the spires, so her office looks over the whole academy grounds. A good DM would tell you that. As she looks out across the academy grounds, after having turned to look at you, turned back, she says, in trouble? Why would you think that you're in trouble? Um. I don't, I don't know. I'm very nervous. <laughs> she fully turns to you, facing you now, kind of steps toward her desk. She unclasps her arms behind her back and she like rests her right hand on the top of the chair. Yeah. It's like a high backed, like throne style chair. So the back is like up when she's standing next to it, it's pretty high. So she puts her kind of hand on it. And she kind of looks out at you and she says, You couldn't be more different from your mother, could you? I... I don't know what to say to that. She walks out from behind the desk. Like, like almost like crescent moon, right? Like she's kind of going around the room towards you mm -hmm. instead of making a B line or I guess like an I line is more accurate of a okay. letter, right? She kind of makes more of like a C line. Uh-huh. Um, As if a B line follows the shape of a B. That's the, that's the joke. Okay. All right. So, so as she... I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of makes her way to you. She, her hands are kind of at her side. She... Brings them together, kind of clasps her fingers, or interlaces her fingers. Um, so, she's making this sort of uh, half... C-line. C-line. Um, <laughs> Maddie line. Hi. <laughs> she's making a C-line to Nymera. Uh, with her fingers interlaced in front of her, kind of almost like she's not cracking her knuckles, but she is like maneuvering them yeah. into different positions, almost like she's, you know, 
looks like she's trying to crack him maybe a little bit and then kind of rotating her wrists. Um, and as she kind of makes her way towards you, a good DM would have described the room that you're standing in first. Um, before we get into what she will say, I will talk a little bit about her room. The office that she has looks like it's about 60 feet from the door you're at, just inside of, to the wall of all windows. I picture and, an evil oval office. Sure. That's, I'm sorry. No, I, that's totally fine. Uh, I like that. Oval. Like an oval shape. Uh-huh. Which totally makes sense given that she's sea lining. In a tower? Oh, and sea lining. Yeah. 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 Um, and so along the walls of this now oval shaped office, <laughs> uh, there are portraits and uh, there are pedestals with various sculptures, uh, all very fiendish. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it's funny to me to think of an evil president who has an evil office instead of an oval office. Like, that's, that's... okay. <laughs> Not a landed shot. Got it. Yeah. I, it's a little too close to home given the last, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. five or six years. Yeah. Uh... Fuck Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so the Oval Office, the now oval-shaped office, um, aligned with artwork depicting uh, fiends. uh, Sculptures of different types of fiends, uh, devilish, uh, horned devils. Um, The portraits, uh, the the paintings are all uh, imagery-evoking uh, like uh, real world, like Christian, uh, the, the the Catholic, the paintings of like the, uh, I, why can I never think of any of these paintings' names? Where they depict like angels, like the majestic, like humanized angel, you know, like uh, Lucifer's fall and you yeah. know, portraits like that, where there are these like, you know, very uh, intric- intricately painted like beautiful humans on the you know and uh but these these are all very in that sort of like uh renaissance style paintings Mm -hmm. right and they all depict like humanoids bargaining with devils Mm. and fiendish presences like it's it is it is a room dedicated to hell Mm -hmm. is what it is yes and there are pedestals with like a goat horn that looks like it was like forcibly removed from a skull, except the more you look at it, the more you realize slightly too big to be a goat horn, and it looks like there's a piece of a skull, but it has a more rounded humanoid shape to it. Fucking um, metal. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and so it did just just this very fiendish, you know, dedicated to fiends. Yeah. As she makes that oval, she stops and looks up at a portrait. And it is a portrait of a large red either tiefling or devil mm-hmm. with large black horns and sharp yellowish uh, teeth. Like its mouth is kind of open, like almost like it's ah, ah like uh, 
not screaming, but scaring, like, ah, roaring. You know, roaring, yeah. Um, with these large muscular arms and a flail with nine heads, uh, sort of like a cat of nine tails, but, but much more metal mm -hmm. with like big flail heads that look like they're shaped like skulls mm -hmm. in this painting, um, and a whip. Mm -hmm. And, uh, smash <laughs> yes um and she sort of stops and as she gets there she puts her hands back behind her back clasp her arms again as she's and looking she, at it and she's looking up at it and without turning to look at you she says has anyone ever told you the tale of malak um we learned a little bit about them and I actually read a book about someone meeting Malik. <clears throat> Malak. She pauses. Was the arch fiend of the sixth layer of hell. He was overconfident in his abilities, which led to his overthrowing, betrayal at the hands of his most trusted generals. It is overconfidence that is the downfall of a mage. Did you know that? Precisely. I have studied under, studied alongside, and tootled many. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and had several majors under my tutelage. Yes. Many of them overconfident in their abilities. Most are guild mages now, unfortunately, and uh, they have assignments scattered across the farthest corners of this world. Some have done better than others and have uh, headed very prominent families in the mage community and have done well, becoming professors and even headmasters and mistresses themselves. But very few have excelled to the great extent that someone like Virilel has. A matriarch of one of the most prominent magical families in this realm. Mm -hmm. And yet, something that she has in common with every other mage that has graced the walls of this conservatory is that she is overconfident. I admire your mother greatly. I, I make a surprised face. <laughs> You would do well to spend a bit of your time 
pondering how to step out of the shadow of your mother. Big shadow. <laughs> Wand. I kind of look at her confused, and then I start to bring out my wand. Show me. I do the incantation for find familiar again. Make an arcana check. Dirty 20. You are able to very quickly, first shot, produce the image, sort of semi-real, semi-illusory image of this dragonoid shape with wings. And because you rolled so well, you are able to maintain some level of focus and it persists for at least a few seconds. Long enough, at least for one round, six seconds, for her to step closer and kind of lean in and you see her brow furl and she gets closer and it sort of turns its head to look at her. And when it does, she steps like back, like wide-eyed, very surprised. And then as your six second hold fades, it starts to flicker out. It starts to flicker out. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. I... That is one of the most impressive displays of magic I have seen in a first year. How were you able to summon a dragonoid? Well, I didn't try to. I... We were just supposed to summon something. And that's what I, I guess I thought of. I, me and one of my classmates were kind of playing dragons and I, I don't know what just happened. I put your wand away. I put it away. Hold up your arms and roll up your sleeves. I hesitantly do so. She kind of walks over to you and not forcibly, but definitely without care, grabs your right wrist and like starts to kind of, like she's trying to twist your arm to see mm -hmm. all around it. I l let her fully, I don't resist. She says, no scales. My gradiented arms. Yes. She kind of puts her hand up near you as if she's reaching for your back and she says, may I? Sure. She places her hand on your back where a wing might form. Mm -hmm. And she kind of like runs her hand firmly as if she's looking for something. Mm -hmm. She kind of steps away and turns around and takes a couple steps away from you. And she says, you happen to have ever, you have, have you happened to have ever breathe fire or? Um, no, no. I mean, I have a little fire spell, but. Show me. And she points at the black goat horn that's on the pedestal. I kind of to myself go, a second? Get it out a second time. Okay. <laughs> I get my <laughs> wand out again. <laughs> um, she points at what? The horn. The, like the large goat horn that could probably not have been from a goat, yeah. but from a large-sized creature. She points at it. Are you sure? Yes. 
I cast Firebolt. Now, one thing that we didn't necessarily talk about, mm-hmm. you don't need to roll the hit, uh, is whether your Firebolt looks necessarily in a different way, right? Because you have the ability to flavor your spells kind of how, how you want as long as they're within the... I picture a... I don't remember if we did either, but I picture a red crackling bolt streaking forward and kind of a black misty swirl kind of like trailing uh kind of orbiting it Mm -hmm. as it's kind of and it leaves behind like a faint like red streak in the middle with a black swirling around it tail behind it as it streaks through and then dissipates it looks very infernal yeah it streaks across and strikes the horn and you see no damage to the horn whatsoever And she, like, raises an eyebrow as she sees this happen, and she says, Your blood is certainly of Hellas. So it's not some secret draconic heritage. Unless I got an uncle I don't know about. Do it again. I want to see it again. Fireball? The image. Oh. Um. Uh, okay. I try again. Yep. Arcana? Another, yes, another arcana check. Eight. You, you know, do the incantation, you flick your wrist to create it, but nothing appears. She says, I'm sorry, was this amateur magician hour at the Bardic College? I said summon the image again. I'm sorry. Um, I'll try again. I'll switch dice. <laughs> I'll switch. Which one I use? Um, 17 total. You do manage to summon it, but it stays only for a brief moment. Uh, I and think I'm nervous. I'm sorry. Again. I try it again. (laughs) A nine. When you flick your wrist and it flickers and doesn't appear, she rushes to you and she steps behind you. You've seen people like trying to teach other people how to play pool where yeah. they walk up behind them and like put their arms around them like yeah, through the pool like cue. Yeah, like a scumbag, yeah. <laughs> she comes up behind you and she, and she like very slowly like places her left hand on your left wrist and she kind of comes up behind you and places her right hand on your right wrist. And in this moment you feel this very motherly feel right she's she's approached you and is trying to teach you this she's trying to show you how to do it properly the way that a mother would show a child how to do a chore in a specific way and she almost softens to you in this moment and she says now you need to say the right words and when you flick, she kind of like is like snapping the yeah. wrist like in a really 
Uh, and so you may roll again, and you have advantage. Because she is helping you. Okay. That was almost a six. Um, 22. So, she shows you the gesture, and she steps away and she says, One last time, Nymera. And then you perform the arcana, the arcana check, and you flick just the way she taught you, and you create the image. This time, it stays. And she kind of walks past you a little bit, and then starts to kind of encircle, right? She's like circling. She's like examining it. And you hear her say, it's the spitting image of... And she looks at you, and she says, come with me. And she walks past you towards the door leading out of her office. Um, does the familiar dissipate? If you turn to follow, or when you turn to follow, it dissipates. I look at it briefly in shock and confusion and... Um... While you're looking at it, in that brief shock and confusion moment, it sits on its hind legs and perches its like paws down and extends, like straightens it, squares its shoulders, its wings kind of curl back behind it. It extends its neck to look at you. And it has a very cat-like like perch and a very regal chest puff like presents itself. Yeah, it just go. <laughs> and then it dissipates <laughs> as I lose focus. <sighs> I think um, Nim is definitely watery-eyed. <laughs> do you follow Zarda? I do. Zarda leads you to what is the on this building, the opposite tower. And she leads you down the long spiral staircase. And you get to what you can, what you easily recognize is the bottom level. Uh -huh. And she pulls out her wand and kind of does some magical gestures. And a very faint red glow appears on the door that traces up, across, and down to form a sort of magical doorway yeah. on the back behind the stairs. And once it forms this red line in the shape of a doorway, she turns to you and, like, she reaches forward and, like, places her hand on the stone in the doorway and you see her hand just go through it. She pulls her hand back and then gestures for you to enter, seemingly. I go through. When you step through you see uh, sort of a foyer that has a desk on one side and a doorway in front of you that has no door and uh, a desk chair and sort of like a clerical, like a front desk person but very yeah. or, or secretary, very clerical, um, with a couch on the left, like almost like a waiting area. Mm -hmm. And through the doorway, you can see rows and rows and rows 
of bookshelves that from this distance appear to be mostly filled with books. Zarda steps into the room. You can see that this room is dimly lit by a globe that has been placed on like a metal sconce, a metal uh, fixture yeah. on top. And so it's glowing outward and kind of dimly lighting the room, which your dark vision sees as normal. And she... By the way, I have dark vision as we entered the room. Just so you know. I'm Thanks. a tiefling. I have dark vision. What's the range? <laughs> um, <laughs> I threw that 60 feet. <sighs> All right. As Zarda enters, she kind of just walks past you briskly. You see the doorway is still there. Yeah. The, the line outline on the door is still there. She walks past you and enters through the doorway across from you that leads into the room with all the bookshelves. And she kind of walks through and she says, Are you coming, Nymira? I follow. Yes. I'm looking around. As you enter that room, it appears as though it is so large in every direction that the darkness trails off. Like mm -hmm. you just see Indiana Jones, uh, what is it? Which one is it? Last Crusade? No, maybe it's... The Warehouse from Indiana Jones. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. With like crates and crates and crates and crates and it's so big you just like can't even see the end kind Abyssal. of thing. Yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was legit, sure. Um, uh, and she says, as she's walking through... Like arms clasped behind her back, Morpheus style, you know, like and she says, This this Nymira is the conservatory's archive. It is a vault of sorts where the conservatory collects all sorts of interesting texts and artifacts, relics of bygone eras. The guild uses it as a sort of storage facility. Not very many people know of its existence, and even fewer have access. This will be the only time that you enter. I nod. At least for the foreseeable future. She kind of trails off, you know, um, foreshadow. <laughs> I look around. Um, what kind of things do I see? Lots of things. Uh, for the most part, the books are texts. Uh, the bookshelves are filled with texts, tomes, manuals. Um, but they appear to be extremely old. Um, the leather is like ruined on some of them. I mean, it, they are old leather-bound tomes. They don't appear to have necessarily... None of them have like markings on the binding. They're just older tomes. Um, you see various orbs both like metal and crystal the metal ones have sort of shapes and things uh carved into them uh, some are easily identifiable some have fiendish carving mm -hmm. some have uh, uh a little bit more i guess alien carvings compared to what you're used to i believe common infernal abyssal is uh -huh. what you speak yes so you recognize some of the infernal and abyssal in some of the like brass and bronze like metal orbs um and then some languages that you don't markings that you don't recognize in in runic languages 
Um, you actually see that there are occasionally also racks of like vials that have different liquids of different um, viscosities. Mm-hmm. Um, some have a sort of lava lamp viscosity in them. Yeah. Um, some look more like like venom symbiote, where they're like erratically Ooh, moving. Cool. Either. Cool. Um, there are uh, weapons down here as well. You'll see the occasional like on when one bookshelf ends, and then there's like the rows and and aisles uh, against the bookshelf. You'll see like weapon racks, stabs. And swords and things like that kind of lined up. Are there up. any nasty gnarled staffs? Oh, there's uh, several of them. The one in particular is this like very crooked, gnarled, like blackened staff, like charred wood. Right. By like, crooked, do you mean like shepherd's caney kind of crooking forward? Uh, not crooked. Like literally, like a branch that was not straightened. Oh, like, got it, got it, got crooked. It, got it. And then there's like the crooked staffs yeah. that have like the shepherd hook on them. Sure. I mean, there's all different types of staves designed here. Some of them have crystals on the top. Uh, you see one in particular that is very straight and at the very top it has almost like a gnarled tree shape. Yeah. Um, and you can actually see a smoking pipe. Uh, there's been a space carved into the staff for a smoking pipe like uh, like a gray wizard might uh, <laughs> carry. Um, uh, so there's, there's lots of different uh, uh, shaped staves. Um, Lots of cool swords down here. Um, some very interesting looking swords. Uh, say glass swords with sort of blue tint that might be uh, chilly swords that rend their opponents. Yeah. Skyrim reference. Uh, lots of really cool looking, what is clearly all magical. Yeah. Uh, some of them are glowing, some of them are not. Some of them are just so finely crafted. It would it is we would be near impossible for someone to craft this fine, intricate detail unless it was something that was crafted over many years, or magical influence. Right. Um, I'm just in jaw probably dropped um, walking through these halls. There's a mirror on one of the hanging on one of the bookshelves. As you pass it, <clears throat> it like catches your attention. And you look and you see your reflection, and then as Nim turns to walk and move away, the reflection of Nim in the mirror stays, like as you pass. I just want to say, when Nim sees herself in a mirror, she always waves. When you wave with your left hand, the mirror waves with its left hand, and it doesn't match your reflection. You know how, like, if you were facing a mirror and you wave with your left hand... In the mirror, it would look like it was waving with its right hand to match the reflection. When you wave, it waves with the opposite hand. I see. Yeah, so that it's not mirroring you. I linger a little bit on that. um, But I don't give it too much mind. Like you're looking at it lingering? Yeah. The image in the mirror just points in the direction that Zara's walking. I, I give a... Uh, okay, and then I, I walk off. You see, like, larger globes. You know those those large globes that, like, open at the middle? They they uh, they have a hinge, and the top of it opens, and there's, like, a bar inside the globe. Have you seen those? Yeah. Yeah, you see one of those, like, large globes cool, cool. that's open and has a 
has a bar in it or has a, has several liquor bottles and things like that. Um, so you see, you see a lot of, I mean, it's very eclectic. The collection is so many different things based on what you're seeing. 75% books. Yeah. 25% just Artifacts. a mishmash of, of Magical. anything you could possibly see. Yeah. I keep following Zarda to wherever she's taking me to my doom, I suppose. She kind of <laughs> rounds a couple corners, cuts through a couple of different bookshelves until she comes to an area where there are no bookshelves, sort of in the center of, like if there were rows and rows and rows, and then there's one particular area where there's no bookshelves in like a square, uh -huh. but the rows continue on either side, just this like small little clearing of no bookshelves. And there is a stone, like several stone steps that lead up to an obsidian pedestal. And there is a sort of like lumpy, spiny something, uh, kind of uh, almost pyramid shaped, right? But oddly pyramid shaped, like not even... Organic? Looks like it. And she kind of steps just into the clearing. And she kind of puts her hand up for you to step there. Like, stop there. And she kind of looks at you. And she says... Summon your image. And in this particular case, you don't need to roll. Mm -hmm. You've summoned it so perfectly with her aid that you can replicate it. Okay. And when you do, you create this image and the lumpy, organic looking, pure, roughly pyramid shaped object on the obsidian pedestal perks up a head. And the head is draconic and it looks nearly identical to the image that you've created. And it, this head on the pedestal like, is looking right at you. A good DM would have described to you the general size, shape, and coloration of this sort of vaguely pyramid-shaped thing before we got to this point. So allow me to take a step back and say that this, the pillar itself is made of obsidian, which is a sort of black glass. Mm -hmm. um, and atop this pillar, this vaguely sort of, and maybe pyramid's not necessarily the best description. Pointed but mound? It's pointed mound because the there's these two two side shapes that kind of come up to this point. Uh, but it has this very dark matte black coloration to it. Mm -hmm. um, and as you have begun interacting with it, after you've completed the... Uh, the flick of the wrist and and uh, replicated the familiar, find familiar spell that you've tried to, or that you were trying to cast. Um, these, as you've summoned this magic, the as the head popped up and was interacting with you, there's this slow uh, change, like slow, subtle change to this, what you have now determined to be a creature. Um, this tiny draconic creature. As its sort of wings have come up, you notice now that its scales, while matte black at first, 
are now starting to sort of gloss over, like the magic of this spell that you have been practicing is starting to flow through and permeate every scale on this Drakari creature. So it has this matte coloration, but now what's happening is either there's like glossifying. Mm -hmm. It's like very slowly top down, uh, sort of becoming shinier. Um, but as it sort of starts to glimmer with this sheen, it almost like has an oil slick look to it, mm -hmm. um, where it's like that shiny, almost like pearlescent type oil slick sheen. Except instead of like what you think of when you think oil slick, the greens and blues and thing, it has a sort of deep crimson mm -hmm. oil slick look to it across its scales. Mm -hmm. And the leathery parts of the wing um, that are that are uh, that webbed leathery part sort of starts to take a slightly more crimson look to it, as the scales along the top of the wing sort of stay sort of glossy black. Yeah. The leathery parts start to get a little bit more crimson, and uh, it briefly sort of brightly flashes this like red glow across its eyes. And as that red glow lifts, there's this like pale, like sickly yellow sheen across its eyes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it sort of like perches the way that the image had perched in Zara's office. Uh, it perches sort of in this like... Noble like, fashion? Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, this is my final form. But, but not really like... It just has that sort of like, we've reached that point, right, it's peak, it's mm -hmm. chest puffs out, it's head lifts up, and it has this almost, uh, like, a, the spikes get a little bit stronger on its, like, brow, yeah. and along, like, the back of its head, where the, the draconic horns might be, uh, and it, it looks as though this draconic creature has taken a, like, fiendish appearance. So, this... I don't know, semi-draconic creature or <laughs> uh, something along something those lines, you know. Dragon-esque. Yeah, like uh, sort of dragon <laughs> Um Now has a, still obviously very draconic in nature, but it definitely has a fiendish, mm. fiendish vibe, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and it sort of completes, and Zarda's face is like, she just looks baffled mm -hmm. but like in a very like oh, 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 oh like yeah excited but like <laughs> whoa like whoa you know wow uh <laughs> and and it like has this look to it and it looks at you and it looks like it sort of like lays its head down and as it does the coloration begins to fade and it like drops back to this matte looking black and like it, it looks like it kind of tilts slightly onto its side. And as its head rests, its eyes close, and the matte black takes over the whole body of mm. this tiny, like, cat-sized dragon. Does it seem like it, like, unanimated? Yeah. Mm. Zarda takes a couple steps toward it and looks, and like, kind of looks back at you. And you see her kind of come to a conclusion, like, and starts nodding her head, and she says... Yes. 
seems as though you will need to complete the ritual. To get the component? Yes. Do you think that'll work? Well, it won't hurt to try. <laughs> it might. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won't hurt to try the ritual. Perhaps acquiring the component <laughs> is a completely different story. What, what is this? I point at the pedestal. Was this here? It's, it's itself crafted to hold, to contain the magical energies of an item that we have sought to acquire. Up until recently, it has been unacquirable. One might even grammatically correctly say unobtainable. <laughs> uh, and there have been whispers, rumors recently that this item has resurfaced. But that is of no concern to a first year. In terms of the familiar, Zarda is kind of monologuing a bit, I guess, but she's describing uh, the research that has gone into finding this item that she's sort of not really vaguely referencing, like she's directly referencing it, but she's being vague about what it is. Right. She's not talking like, well, it's it's a stab or a sword or this or that. Yeah, sparing details. Exactly. Um, and so she's kind of going into as little detail as possible while trying to convey the fact that um, the research that they've acquired has shown that creatures like this, uh, aptly named pseudo-dragons, because they are pseudo-dragon-like, <laughs> <laughs> I got you again. It's so funny to say they're named pseudo dragons because they're pseudo dragon like. That's so fucking funny. Oh, please leave that in. Uh, so. <laughs> you were about to say get your shit and and Zarda goes into a little bit of a, of detail in terms of like what pseudo dragons are and in my world my homebrew world pseudo dragons were created by mages mm -hmm. uh, as a sort of uh, magic uh, uh, magic metal detector. They they uh, they help mages find strong sources of magic. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> so she uh, seems to be under the impression that this particular pseudo dragon might have uh, some connection to this item that she's looking for. Um, whether it is uh, whether this particular pseudo dragon was created to find this specific item or items like it, or if it just has some sense of the item and, and can, yeah. you know, 
metal detect its way back, you know? Um, Bloodhound. Yeah, yeah. So this particular one is, uh, she says, is very, seems, according to our research, very connected to this item we're looking for. Studies show. Yes. Nine out of ten pseudo-dragons. I'm going to say mages. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been funnier. <laughs> Shut the fuck down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, um, she says, but this, it's so strange because you, I have never seen a mage at your age demonstrate such a strong connection to something very specific. The image you created is, was, bears such a striking resemblance to this. Uh, this pseudo dragon that it's curious how you were able to develop such a strong connection to a creature such as this that you seemingly up until now had no idea existed. Funny. <laughs> I I don't know either. Um we shall see to your acquisition of the necessary components to finish your spell work for this course. And uh, we will see if your connection to this pseudo-dragon is strong enough. So, let's rejoin your classmates. We'll continue your prep work, and we will see to in the coming uh, days uh, and weeks that we uh, plan your uh, spell component acquisition accordingly. You will, of course, need to acquire some sanguinous blood root in order to sustain such a strong fiendish connection to your familiar. And you, of course, know, uh, Nymera, that the blood root is only found in one place. Yeah, we went over that. Um, I wanted to say thank you for um, helping me. Um, I know we talked, um, <laughs> on day one uh, about me and, uh, expectations and things, and I, it kind of feels like you're here for me. And I, I just, this is the first place I've felt like I've had that. And it means a lot. So thank you. She steps forward towards you and she puts her hand on your shoulder. And she says, you may, you may very well be the best of us, Miss Zlickstrin. I chuckled to myself. But 
we step out of this archive and back onto campus grounds, <clears throat> I will not show you any favoritism. I wouldn't want you to. I will expect you to put in more work than your peers. You have much more potential than they do. Well, I don't know about that. Juicy Chewy? No, you didn't. Um... <laughs> you will be expected to do more and be more because you have the potential. I'll try. You will do. I'll, I'll, um, I can promise that I'll do my best. She takes her hand off your shoulder and steps away from you, kind of turning away from you to head back. And uh, she stops and says, the first step in becoming the mage that you uh, rightfully are is acknowledging the darkness that is within your bloodline. For another day, perhaps. Year two? <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> I nod. Um, I look back to the pedestal form. It has curled back up into a pyramid shape. My eyes kind of linger on it, and I look down at my wand for a moment. And I nod to myself with just a teeny tiny bit of confidence. And then I follow Zarda. I should lead you out. I steal, just kidding. <laughs> That'd be so cool. What the? Yeah. You, you yeah. <laughs> you really need fingerless gloves in order to steal, right? It's too early for a callback. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Not sorry. Uh, you leave. I leave. And you don't steal. I don't steal. You leave and you rejoin your classmates and uh, in the same vein as uh, the earlier part of the session, we sort of are covering weeks and months through the coursework and and uh, as your coursework continues and you learn a lot more about the structure of conjuration spells and you've got the flick of the wrist correct and you've got the right words, <clears throat> uh, you learn a lot more about the structure of like names and how they hold power in places like Hellas, specifically true names of devils and demons and celestials. This is over the duration of the year? Correct. Okay. <clears throat> was there anything you wanted to cover before we... Not on this, but I was just remembering um, Aerith asking for me for Sheila, Professor Sheila Bradley. Yes. 
Also, uh, another thing that I for we both forgot, Elden gave you a note. Uh, Let's do that. Yeah. You want to do the Elden thing yeah, or the, yeah, the yeah. era thing? Let's do Elden. Well, I mean, we'll do both. But do you which one first? Elden first. Yes. Um. So Elden's note said, "Good luck tonight outside your dorm during uh, witch during witching hour. Witching hour. Which uh, hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's not an hour. The witching hour is three hours. It's between midnight and three a.m. Um. In at least in, you know. IRL Earth. If you Google, if you were to Google witching hour right now, you would see that it is between midnight and three a.m. Okay, well we're in your world. What is it? It's between midnight <laughs> and three a.m. <laughs> okay. Easy. It's, it's between midnight and like two forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's twelve fifteen depending yeah. on traffic. Yeah. It's a lot of broom traffic for the witches. Daylight savings time. You know this. You know. <clears throat> northern southern hemisphere right factors. yeah yeah a lot of factors so i mean comfortably you can count on about twelve fifteen to 245 mm -hmm. anyway witching hour yes I, the witching hour i do so i leave my dorm yes. during the time when you <laughs> 1245 uh, when you, when, you <laughs> when you open the door and you you step out into the hallway like Maybe 10 or 15 feet from your door, leaning up against the wall, is sort of a shadowy, like, cloaked figure. That I'm not too scared by because I'm expecting someone. Yes, and also you recognize the vague shape of this tall... It'd be really, really funny if it was a, like, a mysterious cloaked figure and the same white owl perched <laughs> on the shoulder. <laughs> Went through all this trouble yeah. to hide his like identity. I and, uh, <laughs> it's equally cute if it had its own little. <laughs> so you step out into the hallway, about ten or fifteen feet down to your left, you see a mysterious, dark cloaked figure mm -hmm. with a vague owl shape <laughs> on its left shoulder, also with a vague cloak, dark cloak covering its identity, and. You hear, um, uh, oh, the, the coast is clear. And you hear, whoo, whoo, and it like flies off. <laughs> Nymira. Um, hi. Hi. Oh, I'm sorry. And he like pulls the, the hood off. He's like, I'm sorry, I, you probably didn't recognize me there. Oh, I falsely <laughs> give him. <laughs> I, I didn't think you'd come. You left me a note. Well. Make you wait out here for nobody? Um. Wh what's up? I'd like to take you somewhere. Show you something. Okay. He kind of nods and... Do I suspect gestures. ill intent? Uh, make an insight check. Dun, 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 dun. Eight. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <clears throat> he kind of gestures, and as you guys are traversing the halls, you like come to a cross hallway. He like gets up against the wall, like puts his fist up. <laughs> he puts his fist up, like he's like you know yeah. military, like stop. He gets up all all against the wall. 
I also get against the wall. And like looks at you, and he does vague, gen- like really general, like hand gestures, like looping his fingers, like pointing his eye, like just like nonsensical hand gestures to make it look cool. Yeah. And he like looks around the corner, and like there's nobody there. So he like looks back and forth, and he looks at you, and he's like, puts his hand up, like go go go, uh, and he like quickly like traverses, right? Kind of hunks hunkers down, like stealths, um, but not really making an effort to stealth, like actually. Yeah. Like, you could hear his movement, like anybody in the hallway could hear him, you know, moving because it's it doesn't have like all his equipment with him, but you can still hear the metal and stuff like that. Uh. And he leads you kind of like through all, like very pl- like a, a play acting, a, a breakout or a sneaky escape kind of thing. Um, except that the, towards the very end, right when you get to the end of the hallway where you see it's around the corner and then like maybe 30 feet to the door that leads out of this part of the conservatory. He gets to the end and he like has given up on the vague hand gestures And he just looks at you and like kind of smiles. And as he goes to turn, he sees Diz down the hallway near where the door is that goes out. And he like plops back, making a whole bunch of noise. And he's like, Diz. Like very overacted, like exaggerated, like over there. Mm -hmm. Fake, like stage whisper, like Diz is over there. Okay, okay. What do we do? Oh, I sent him back to the room. Shit. <laughs> we need a distraction. Um, how far away is he? 30 feet down to the end of the oh, hallway. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna do a minor illusion over why, where Diz is. Mm-hmm. Um, of a bat that kind of from up, uh, not in eye line, down into eye line, kind of fluttering around and see if we can move while that's happening. Okay. Why don't you give me a uh, deception check? Okay. Because it can't make any noise. Oh, but you can you can show a bat fluttering around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? Deception. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like a seven? A seven's a, seven's a good number. Seven is a number. As the bat sort of begins to flutter down into Diz's eye line, you see Diz look up at it and then, like, watch it as it flutters around. <clears throat> 30 feet is a pretty far distance to see whether someone is squinting or not. Yeah. But you think if you could see whether Diz was squinting, they were definitely squinting. Sometimes it's more about body language or lack thereof. Yeah. Like if he's not moving very much, you kind of get that he's like, yeah. huh, about it. Mm. Elvin says, try something else. <sighs> can you like make a noise or something that Diz can go like investigate? You mean you can't use that exact same spell that you just used, but to create a sound instead of an image? Oh, can I? Visually, we're. You're at a you're at a you're at a T-shaped 
hallway crossing. So mm -hmm. the top part of the T on the left side is the door right here. That we're trying to get to? Yes. And it goes out this way, like yeah. through the T. You guys are at this corner right here, yeah. looking down this way. Yeah. And so, where's Diz? And Diz is here, in front of the door. Okay. And the T crosses here? Yes, that's where you guys, like around this corner right here is where you guys are. Within this range to make a sound, that's right. only going to draw... So Eldon says, Eldon says, why don't we draw Diz closer and then project the sound down this hallway? And he gestures to the right. And we go down the other hallway? No, then when, as Diz gets closer here, we hide up against the wall and hope that Diz doesn't see us. <laughs> then Diz will cross the hallway to the other side and we'll sneak around. Oh, okay. Sure. You don't think it'll work? No. <laughs> Where are we going to hide? <laughs> Flat against the wall. Um, I firebolt far beyond Diz. Like, back against the door? How far does the hallway go? Does the Did, door end right there? Yeah, so here, let me, let me draw you a little, let me a little bit more specific. Hallway continues oh. this way. Hallway continues this way. Oh! You guys... Okay. Yeah. Um, That's where you guys are, at that corner. Looking around the corner, there's 30 feet to where this door is, and Diz is standing in front of the door like this. Then I want to draw a sound over here. Yeah. Yeah. And then as Diz comes this way to investigate the sound, you guys will hide flat up against the wall here. I was taking it as flat against that fucking wall. Oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. I'm like, that's not going to work. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, that's okay. That's why maps are kind of important for players who, well, no, for players who are visual in terms of the representation of what's happening. Sometimes a simple description is not enough. And okay. we all know that a good DM would be more descriptive, so. I firebolt down the hall. <laughs> the opposite hall from where. Yeah. From where Diz is. Yeah. Like over here. Over here. Okay. Instead so, of the sound idea. Because yeah. fuck it. Firebolt. So the firebolt is like 120 feet. With the intention not to harm and just like hit wall. Yeah. It's all stone. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it shouldn't do damage. Yeah. So you launch this firebolt 120 feet down the hallway. Yeah. It like fizzles off and hits stone towards the end. And you see Diz, like, Eldon's kind of peeking around the corner. You're, like, Scooby-Doing one yeah, head. But yeah. Diz sees, like, the bright streak, streak of a firebolt in the dark co corridor emanating from the T-shape <laughs> going that direction. And Diz starts walking very slowly. And Eldon says... Back up against the wall and stay very still. I do so. Uh, make a stealth check. <laughs> I was looking like, are you not done? How do you like an eight? Okay. So, Diz gets closer and closer and closer. 
And just as Diz gets to the split, you think, like, Diz kind of slows down a little bit, and, like, you see Diz look kind of up. You're here, right? The cor corner to Diz's right. He, like, looks sort of to his right, but then kind of, like, shakes it off and kind of keeps going and goes about 10 or 15 feet past the corridor. Out of character, I guess. Can I tell if he's, like, playing along? Insight. Okay. I guess this is in character. Um, a natural one. Ah. Yes. Hard to say. Before Who you, could tell? Before you have an opportunity to really take stock in what Diz is doing, yeah. Eldon grabs your hand and mm -hmm. is like, and like pulls you around the corner and gets to the door and like grabs on the door really quickly and then like tries to very very silently. What door is this? this I don't is, know. Well, no, it's a door that leads out of the building. Oh. He's led you to a, a door that leads to the outside of the conservatory. I see. We chose the one fucking door that has the guard on it right now. I mean, Eldon did. <laughs> so. Uh, he opens the door and it's like, come on, go, and gestures for you to go through. I rush. Now, outside of Nim's viewpoint, yeah. we'll say for some invisible audience, you don't see Eldon turn to Diz and go, give him a big thumbs up, and Diz just goes, and shakes his head and like walks away, and Eldon's like, Okay. <laughs> For the benefit of some cinematic camera that might be following this as if it were okay. a show. Or I don't a movie. know why that happened, but okay. Eldon joins you outside. Uh huh. And now that you are outside, it is beautiful outside. There is a moonlit. full. Moonlit. Huh? Moonlit. It's a beautifully moonlit night. Near full. And Eldon, like, sneaks you along, like, the hedges, stops just in case there's anybody else, but. There's no guards here other than Diz, really. I'm going to 110% play along um, and just be, like, I'm, I'm not really dragged along. I'm going to, for the most part, kind of be like, oh, like, kind of, like, playing along with it. Eldon leads you kind of through the courtyard, like, the long way around. Along the way. Do you want to tell me? It's a secret. And he, like, stops and turns to you and he's like, I promise it'll be, it's good. Okay. Okay. It leads you kind of a long way around, hiding from no real guards. And uh, the, all of the main buildings of the conservatory are kind of on like acres of land. Yeah. Like this large estate. So there's like forest around the conservatory at the center of this massive city. And so he like leads you out and kind of into the forested area and he kind of does the the shrub like pushing the shrubs aside kind of and he like pulls one big grouping of like you know branches aside and you see at the center there's a small clearing and surrounding this clearing are is lunar root Mm. That's glowing. Yeah. In the moonlight. White with the golden. No, that's the Empyrean. Oh, okay. The My lunar bad. root is like more like um, 
uh, it's like a weed yeah. that has a little flower bud on it that glows softly. The 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 fay, yeah. And he says, uh, says, what do you think? It's beautiful. And he kind of like, come on, leads you into the center, and he says, stand right here. And he goes off behind some bushes, and he pulls out like a blanket and a picnic basket. Uh huh. And he sets the picnic basket down, and he like, you know, tosses the blanket up like he's trying to like unfurl it and like lay it down. Uh huh. He puts the picnic basket on the blanket, and before he gestures for you to sit down, he like looks up, and you, do you look up? Sure. The trees are sort of cleared so that it's like you can see directly above you mm-hmm. and you can see the moon's kind of slightly off to the side. I mean, it's, it's really star, star mm-hmm. lit. He looks up and he says, I, I planted these myself. Oh, um, do you come from Faye? No, no, but They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Do you like them? <laughs> yeah, um... We haven't talked much. I don't mean to sound rude, but why me? Why, why'd you bring me here? He, like, reaches his hands up to grab your hand. Okay. I let him. And he says... He kind of like lifts his head. It was like, from the moment I met you, I <sighs> deep sigh. Yeah. And he lets go, and he says, "I can't do this." And he kind of turns away from you, like rubs the back of his neck, like he's like, "Ah, stupid, stupid." And he seems. Uh, kind of a mixture of like frustrated and kind of ang- like upset but not directed at you just like a general sense um is there a picnic basket you said mm-hmm. do you want to sit and chat and eat he turns around to you and When I found out I was coming to the conservatory, my parents had high hopes about my career here, Uh where I would go, what I would do with my life. And they wanted me to meet a nice young mage and someone from a strong bloodline. I just, I feel like I can't, I feel like if I don't, I, do do you like me or do you think you should like me?
oh, no, no, no. And he, like, takes stock in what he's done. He's like, no, 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 that, no. I mean, I don't, not, like, no, I, oh, 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 man. Oh, wow, Eldon, you really, you done goofed. I, I, I think you're great. Don't reject me right now. <laughs> just tell me what you're doing. What's going on? I I just <laughs> I I feel like my family won't understand. I don't I think you're a very accomplished mage. Again, this sounds like you're it's going in a direct, in a rejection area, okay? <sighs> I don't have the same feelings that other people do. Like, <clears throat> your friend Alanae. Mm -hmm. She was saying, like, that you thought I was cute. I rolled my eyes. She did. Mm-hmm. I don't think that way about other people. Like, I, I, I don't find them attractive. Uh-huh. Like, I, I don't have those feelings. I nod. Again, this really feels like you brought me here to reject me, but I didn't even... <laughs> My parents want me to find someone of a other, you know, very well-known, yeah. strong bloodline. Yeah. And they want to continue the Magni bloodline. Yeah. And I don't want to disappoint them. And so I was trying to... You brought me here to tr try, and to but you don't really want ask to. Ask you out. But you don't want to. I mean, you're putting in very harshly. <laughs> I think you're a very accomplished mage, and I enjoy knowing you. And yes, I, I wanted to ask you out and go through the motions. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know, I feel like your family's bloodline is very well known and you have lots of powerful mages in your family and I'm, I do as well. Can I stop you, Eldon? Yes. I think you're far too young to worry about, um, well, it's our first year here, and what do I want to say? I don't think you should try to be with someone just for appearances or because you feel like you have to prove to anyone 
that you feel that way or that or if you feel like it's something that you feel like is a missing part of you I think you're a whole person the way that you are and I think that's beautiful and I come you I think you know from my family who has their own expectations for me and between you and me I don't know if I can follow through you seem like deep sigh like relief, relief. so how about we make a deal I hand out a hand for a pinky promise let's both try to worry a little less about expectations and try to find some confidence in what we want or don't want. He is carrying that sense of relief but is not fully persuaded. <laughs> Why don't you make a persuasion check? Uh, for those listening, I was heavily eyeing at my dice. Like, are you going to make me roll for it? Um, I do have a cute face. Mm, ten. Uh, I think cute faces give advantage, right? No, they don't. <laughs> I think they do. That's what the plus five is for, actually. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I don't think I have ever been in a situation where I've offered advantage and the player has chosen to decline the advantage. Uh, let the record reflect. Uh, a ten, you said? Yeah. I offer my pinky out after a... He like, looks at your pinky, looks down... And he says, you know how when we first met, when our groups first met yeah. at the beginning of the year, my whole group sort of seemed to be pretty enamored with me. Uh-huh. And then Alan A., was talking about how you found me attractive. Uh, Cute, I think is the word that she used. I could defend myself, but I won't. The thing is, uh, like I don't feel those feelings for other people. Yeah. You know? And I feel like that leaves me in this weird position where I have to pretend to, you know? Like, like I'm 15. All the men in my family were having kids by 16. And I don't know, I guess I just feel this 
pressure and I don't even know what any of that is yeah. you know and 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 I was told at 15 oh boy <laughs> we lamb he says I mean I, I was told that I'm supposed to you know romance someone you know take him right and have a sweet you know you know cheese and wine and you found wine? blanket well grape juice oh <laughs> <laughs> and Eldon um this is lovely and it's beautiful Al um Alanae was just kind of talking I she said you were cute, and then I agreed, um, just in like a, a, an objectively, like, you have a nice face. Um. Wait, so, do you think I'm cute or not? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't like, like you. I am relieved. <laughs> not in a, a bad way. Stop projecting me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think you're great. Stop it! <laughs> hey. How about we take this as a little friend date and not waste the food or the view and no pressure, just have a nice time. Okay. That sounds... Sounds good. I'm sorry that your family's pressuring you. I mean... I feel like they'd understand. I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just... Worried about... Like the what if, you know? Yeah. Like what if they don't understand that I... I'm not attracted to people in that way. Yeah. Um, I think that getting to know yourself is a lifelong journey. I think we both got a long way to go. So maybe, maybe, try not to worry so much. In the distance you hear, Ho, ho! And Elvin goes, You can say that again, Bubo. Ho, ho! Yeah, I get you. You can say that again. If you do this ten more fucking times. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, I get you. You could say that again. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna walk out of here. <laughs> um yeah. I we have a nice time. We chat about 
probably our own friend groups and tell funny stories um, about them. I, I talk about how um, when Lena goes to the, was it the commissary? Mm -hmm. um, she stacks a sandwich as high as possible um, and just really tries to it's hard for a little halfling mouth, but she really tries to <laughs> get as much as she can in there. It's a little impressive. Yeah, sounds <laughs> sounds impressive. Um, so I tell stories like that. Uh, he does comment at, at one point how uh, I hope you don't think I was terribly out of line. I mean, it does make a certain sort of sense. The heiress to the ink, you know, the, the family business of ink, you know, with the heir to the, you know, family business of parchment and vellum. It does seem good on paper. Yeah, I suppose it does. <laughs> Over the head. Over his head. <laughs> um, you hear. Ooh, ooh. Oh. Um. I think also, not that you're gonna do it again, but you should maybe let people know that what you're taking them to is a date. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't considered that before. Yeah, um... What if I don't want to go on dates? Then don't. But like, it's good to have an idea of what the other person wants too. Your note was ominous. And I don't know, I thought there'd be a big secret. I have a question for you. Anything. Um, I saw on your paper an image. What? What was that? Oh, the succubus. Yes. Well, succubi are traditionally symbols of attraction and seduction and lust and I don't know I just I guess I thought that that would that's something that people something that other people enjoy you know ah got it <laughs> that wasn't clear enough for me to take it that way but I do see that we eat and talk and chat and hopefully maybe the owl joins a little bit since you've canonically made him there. Ooh, ooh. Yes, you can you can have some. You fly down. <laughs> Perch on the shoulder. Pairs nicely with rat. <laughs> Stupid. <Ooh. laughs> you could say that again. Um, yeah. 
I probably open up a little bit about my family um, and all the pressure my mother puts on me and how my dad, my father is kind of a relief to that, but he, if he had to pick a side, he's in her corner. Um, so it's really all about what she wants. And I kind of open up about what that dynamic is like and that um, my brother is a, or was a, a big bully to me and always kind of talked down on any creative thing that I wanted to do. And then I ask uh, Eldon about him and um, what his family is like and what the Parchment family has for uh, expectations and things. While you're talking about your own family, uh, and you mention like if he chose, if your dad chose a side, he would chose, he would choose your mom's side. Yeah. You see, Eldon kind of smirk and then drop it really quickly, and he kind of chimes in in a lull around that part of the conversation, and he says, uh, "I." Don't blame him. Your mother has a reputation for being a very powerful mage, uh, one that always gets what she wants. And it is common knowledge amongst the other families that you don't cross Virilal's Lickstrin. Uh, yeah. I've learned that as well. I don't think that means that your mother doesn't have your best interest at heart. <laughs> Far be it from me to really understand what someone else's parents, you know, believe, much less my own, you know. Oh, my parents are... Very strict, mm -hmm. very expectant, and uh, I don't know how much you know about Heroes Hold up north. Uh, that's it's a stronghold up north that was created in was built in the aftermath of the uh, Fourth Age, uh, the Age of Desolation, as you would know from your history studies. Right. And when the Hellas Gate up north was closed by the, by the canonically unnamed group of heroes mm -hmm. from a previous campaign, <laughs> um, they constructed a stronghold and it was known as Hero's Hold it was 
originally just a fortress that there were several statues constructed to the heroes who fought at the Hellescape. And around the hold, a following grew. And that hold today stands as a testament to the dedication and steadfast conviction of those heroes. And the Magni family is are the stewards of this hold. Growing up there, a lot of expectation put on me by my family to, you know, become an accomplished mage like them, to, you know, live up to the Mag Magnus family, and to prepare myself so that one day, if I am called upon, I can serve the way that the heroes of old served. Sort of a unspoken expectation that the mages of the Magni family are willing to do whatever it takes, even if that means giving their own lives in service of the greater good, whatever that means. So Elvin obviously continues talking about his life at Heroes Hold and his family and their expectations and borderlines on borderlines dark a little bit because he kind of touches on the whole idea that like his family trains their children to be mages to potentially be the one to make the sacrifice play type yeah you know and he sort of trails off talking about you know what it's like to be a, a Magnus. That sounds really tricky. Elden, I think you're... And I fall asleep. <laughs> Good place to stop the session. Falling asleep to the beautiful night sky. <laughs> the dulcet tones of Elden Magnus talking about sacrificing his life for his <laughs> family. <laughs> I, I definitely was listening and engaged for as long as I could, and then I fell asleep. I think it was a good session. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs> A bye bye. A bye bye. 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 Fuck off. <laughs> Be nice. Please fuck off. Okay, thank you. <laughs> bye.